Um, so we're on Wild Horse next. Oh, I like it. It's kind of weird tonally, and the character seems silly, and, um... Okay, I guess... Four to six weeks later. Jules, why were you so weird about this season? It's actually pretty good. Vindication! Hi, I'm running up that hill to make a deal with Animus, Ashley. And I'm still dreaming of the Animarium Jewels. And this is Ranger Splain, a podcast where Power Rangers expert Jules takes me, Power Rangers neophyte, I guess that's what I am now, Ashley, through the entirety of the franchise. And we're ending the year by talking about the end of the first Saban era, Wild Force. So, after being raised in the jungle his entire life, Cole Evans makes his way to the city of Turtle Cove to find his parents. As soon as he arrives, though, he is recruited by the Wild Force Power Rangers and their continual fight against the villainous orgs that attempted to take over the mythical Animarium over 3,000 years ago. With the help of Princess Shayla, Wild Force works together to protect the Earth with the help of a menagerie of wild zords. So... Kind of interesting for me about this is this is the most JRPG Final Fantasy season. Yeah, I was not, and we'll get into this a little bit more later, but I was not expecting this season to literally involve Zord God. (laughs) (laughs) And not just Zord God, but Zord God fucking dies at one point. It never comes back. Just, (laughs) oh my god, it's one of like... The weirdest things is just like, it just starts out with, boy, trying to find out the answer to what happened to his parents, and God dies at the end. Yeah, this season has everything. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, uh, this one actually kind of uh, has kind of arcs with an overarching like plot to them. Like, you have kind of the first arc is establishing the Animarium. Uh, the second arc is Master Org's origin, and then finally it's it's the Kill God arc, as I like yeah. to call it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then you also have the arc of them getting their secondary, like, wild zords in between there somewhere. But I think that kind of goes in with establishing the Animarium. But yeah, this yeah. is definitely, um, this season was definitely more of a, where a lot of seasons in the past have been more driven by character, and this one does definitely more driven by the plot. Yeah. I mean, it's still Power Rangers, like, Power Rangers plots will vary wildly, but, like, this is the one where I can feel like, this is one of those where I feel like I can say that there was a definitive overarching story that carried the through line the whole way. What's interesting to me is it actually does, it's more or less Cole's story, but it's more or less the story of his family and kind of what happened. Right. Um... Which is why, um, and I think we'll get into this later with some of the Disney seasons, is it's a really good example of the Red Ranger being the, like, kind of the crux of the story. Mm Because it didn't feel like Cole necessarily overpowered the story or really anything. He was just kind of a big part of what drove it forward. Right. Um, And and like I said, you'll probably notice this in later seasons when we can bring this up again. Okay. 
Um, something that did come up, though, a lot was, like, the extreme tonal shifts that would sometimes happen in the series. Yeah, like, you would basically have one episode be silly, fun, happy times, and the next episode is like, God's dead. Yeah, or, like, the entire thing with Cole and his parents, and I think, like, you know, you have these really lighthearted episodes that play before it, like, the whole, like... Like, the episode with Danny and the Brides, like, that plays out like a Cutie Honey plot. Like, yeah. I swear that plot was either in Sailor Moon or Cutie Honey Flash back in the 90s. Whereas, and then you get the next, like, a few episodes later, you have, like, Cole finding out that, like, his parents were killed. And it's just like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. What? what? <laughs> and I think, like... Right after, like, you find the origins of Master Orc, which we'll get to that Brony Frenzoni asshole. Oh, yeah. Like, right after it was Forever Red. Oh, God. Yeah. I have so many, I have so many questions about Forever Red. (laughs) Plus, I definitely was the reveal of Animus, because I love how Animus was just like, hey, Cole, have this thing. And then it just shows up in Forever Red in one more episode. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, but a n- big part of this scene is, like, kind of the the through line of forgiveness. Yeah. Um, especially with Cole and Master Org, and also Merrick with kind of his own journey of self. Yeah. Uh, I think the, what it, what it kind of flounders a little bit with Cole and Master Org, because Master, like, Cole just outright forgives the man, even though, like, Master Org never did anything to show repentance or anything. It's just Cole's like, I'm a dumb himbo, so I forgive you. Yeah, I would say Rancic shows more to as for repentance between the end of Time Force and, like, the Time Force crossover this season than Master Org does at any point. Yeah, so it goes in kind of the, the, chi- the kids show trap, particularly at that time period of, like, the good guys are just ultra-realistically good. Mm-hmm. And it kind of shows a little bit with Merrick's arc, which I think has done a little bit better, is Merrick, and we'll get into, I think, more with him, is is basically his whole story was he he betrayed everybody. And while the new Rangers, and to an extension Shayla, kind of forgive him for what happened, yeah. uh, he doesn't forgive himself for being that and actually does try to go on a repentance tour to basically allow himself forgiveness even though right. the people he slighted are all dead pretty much right um well since we've kind of already started talking about cole let's talk about cole our, our um, blazing lion yes so the funny thing about cole is that when he were first introduced to him it's revealed that he's been raised in the jungle his entire life basically like ever since he was found by this tribe when he was a baby and then, like, past, like, the first couple of episodes, it never comes up again. Like, like it's it's very much in the way TV is. Uh, mm. kind of shows this very primitive way of how tribes work. Right. And, um, and, well, one, what really bugs me is somehow he gets to Turtle Cro- Cove from where he was on a, on a kayak. I'm like, yeah, cool. I, yeah, that does not make sense. That does not make sense. Like... No matter where he's coming from, there's an ocean between him and Turtle Cove. Like, that's stupid. But it's just kind of like, they never, maybe I'm glad that they never made any, like, jokes about him being like, what's a computer? Do I eat it? Yeah, because it's like, that feels especially overdone. And yeah, I think, like, 
in some ways, like, the shorthand of him just being like, okay, he's on the animarium, and he knows how... It was the whole thing that he knows how to read. That <laughs> was like, wait, what? That that the read reading English no less. Yeah, so I'm just like reading and speaking English and I'm just like, how? Like you you come from a place that probably shouldn't be speaking English and yet you're you're perfectly fluent in it. Okay, sure. All right. Whatever, Power Rangers. Yeah, Don't pa- think about it too hard. Yeah, let's not think about it too hard. Um, I'm glad, you know, in a lot of ways, like, like I said, like, I'm glad in a lot of ways they didn't play up the trope, like, he can't read, or, you know, he's like, I'm gonna eat this phone. Yeah. Like, he just sort of kind of adapts to it, so I'm like, D- does the-, the-, the tribe have some technology? Okay, now, don't think about it too hard. Don't think about it too yeah. hard. Uh, what I do know about a lot coming from, uh basically people telling others like that's not how that works right thanks to the internet is basically like tribal communities will have a little bit behind in infrastructure stuff but like especially thanks to cell phones like internet's pretty widely available okay um so continuing the tradition the grand tradition of red rangers being himbos uh cole is definitely one he's more of a a kind of a pure himbo, well, purest himbo, as we put it. Yeah. So, because he's just pure of heart and dumb of ass. He is very stupid. Bless I'm his just, heart. Bless his heart. Like, I think that's the other surprising thing that he could read. It's just like, someone was able to teach this dumb boy how to read? Yeah, because especially, like, yeah, because it's like, he, like, he's always shown as being somebody who is very, like, sweet and compassionate, but, like, kind of when it came to life in general, he was just not there. <laughs> no, like... I think a very, uh, and we'll touch on this, I think, is, like, the ver- the the episode where he's, like, well, orcs have hearts, and he doesn't listen to, like, uh, Taylor being, like, no, dude, stop that. <laughs> and then, like, immediately he's, like, you have no heart! It's, like, yeah, she just told you. <laughs> she just told you that. And you were, like, I gotta confirm it for, for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, I guess. I've, I've done that before. Yeah, and then, um, kind of going, like, gonna skip ahead a bit in our notes here, where, like, the him and Taylor thing was interesting, was because, like, and we'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about Taylor, but, like, it's really just so weird that the reason that they decide that Cole was gonna be the leader of the team, because it's just, like, he literally just shows up and they're just like, oh, the Red Lion has chosen you, and since the Lion is the king of the jungle... You will be the leader of the team. Yeah, it is like the dumbest line that is uttered. Yeah, as, as, like, the, as the lion is king of his jungle, so is his red ranger. Like, that makes no goddamn sense. Like, he just showed up. What the fuck? <laughs> he just showed up and just did the stupidest fucking thing, which is ignore the senior member of the group. Yeah. But... Yeah, no, it's it's Power Rangers. They will they will find any excuse to make the Red Ranger the default leader, or if not the Red Ranger, whoever is the most the, who they think is the coolest Ranger at the time. So that's how you get uh, like the series just focusing on Tommy for five million years. <laughs> I on side note, I can't wait to get the Dino Thunder. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm everything you've told me about like Dino Thunder. I'm very excited about, but. <laughs> Yeah, I still got a couple of months. Yeah, it it really is like, you'll get the series, like, 
it's so weird. This series is, is so into having a male leader, particularly the Red Ranger. Yeah. So, like, but otherwise, besides, you know, being the leader, which he actually does take to the role pretty well, like, kind of after his learning curve. And um, his own main focus is finding his parents, and there's not really much of an internal arc for him outside of that. Yeah. It's, it's just it's like, it's just him finding out what happened. Uh, there's a couple episodes that deal with grieving. I think most of the episodes are dealing with grieving. And also the weird sticking to his guns and forgiving someone. Even though that person, like, again, we, we kind of talked about, does not go and want forgiveness. Cole still forgives them anyway. Yeah. Which, you know, more power to him for doing that. But, like, you know, that's not going to be the, the path forward for everyone. Yeah. Um, And kind of our final note on Cole here is he gets a dog. He, he, <laughs> like, the series does. ends with him getting a dog. Though, he, also, he, oh, go ahead. No, I was like, I think that's the dog he rescued at the beginning. Probably. I don't want to go back and confirm. Somebody else who, like, watches the series constantly tell us. I know that they were both golden retrievers, so it's probably the same dog. Also, yeah, sorry, we didn't put this in our notes, but Cole has some, like, weird empath powers that they never really explain. Oh, yeah, like, he, he basically has the power of heart. Like, he can, he can read... Not read minds, but basically read the moods of anything with a heart, basically. Like, animals, people, he can read their moods, and it it kind of just never explains, but only comes up when it's important. Yeah, I think this is by extension he can talk to animals. Yeah. Like, because it comes up, like, he asks, like, a pigeon if, like, they've seen, like, his parents or seen this particular person. I think it was his parents. Yeah. And he asks the same of dogs, and it's like... So wait, he's been able to talk to animals the entire time, and it just kind of just plays out like Trip's like psychic powers in Time Force, where like it just kind of shows up when convenient. Yeah, like I think the writers just forget, or like Maya's like weird empath empath powers from Lost Galaxy is like. I- the writers will remember that this is a thing, put it in an episode, and then forget it for like five episodes in a row. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering if, like, it comes from the fact Maya and Cole both kind of have jungle aesthetic. Like, they were both raised in the jungle, so they had to learn to talk to animals. Also, Maya's an alien. Right. But, like, again, we don't know anything about Cole's background from, like, we know that he was raised in the jungle, but that plays nothing in terms of his character. Yeah, it it really doesn't. Uh, But, you know, the weirdness that is Power Rangers... Yeah, at least he learns to bathe after the second episode. Yeah, and gets a haircut. Yeah, because the wig they put on put on him was, whew, it was bad. It was, it was very bad. All right, so we kind of talked about her a little bit, so let's move on to Taylor Earnhardt, a.k.a. Soaring Eagle. Uh, so one of the things when I first started, I made a tweet of, like, Ashley's going to love Taylor, and then a bunch of people agreed, and then within, like, I think, Within the span of the episode and Taylor, like, punching Cole in the gut, you're like, I love her. Yeah, so, uh, fuck y'all for calling me out on that. You were right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, look, it's it's basically Carol Danvers, but a Power Ranger. She's gonna love her. Yeah, it, that's exactly, like, who she is. And, like, the funny thing is, is that this was... This particular plot, like, I think it was happening when they finally did establish that Carol was a pilot in the Air Force. Because, like, yeah, 
Carol Danvers, queen of retcons, queen of losing your memory. Um, <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. But like, because I think initially they tried to set it up that Carol is a, when Carol was first introduced in the 60s, they tried to make her a security officer. Um, mm-hmm. But then like, she eventually at some point they decided, no, she was a pilot. And yeah, so basically that's her whole thing is that she's a, she's a very good Air Force pilot that got superpowers. <laughs> Um, am I talking about Carol? Am I talking about Taylor? I don't know. I've lost track. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, her, her basic story, she is an Air Force pilot, um, uh, that joined, uh, to basically find Ian and Miriam. She was obsessed with the Ian and Miriam. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, when she was a kid and she was on an airplane and she literally saw, like, the, uh, the eagle go by. No, I thought she saw the animarium itself outside the window. Oh, no, yeah, she saw the animarium, sorry, because later yeah, she, she found the eagle. Yeah. And she was like, holy crap, that's fucking cool. Yeah. And, like, basically tried to wake her mom up and was like, it's the animarium. And her mom looked out the window, didn't see it, and was basically told her to go back to sleep. Um. So, yeah, she's the actually the first one to find the animarium. And by the time that, like, Cole, like, they find Cole and he joins the rangers, she... She tells them that she has been a ranger for about a year. Yeah, and uh, judging by, uh, and we'll get to the other two, but judging by Alyssa and Max's tenure, like, she, that's a very long time, because, like, Max and Alyssa didn't really join until, like, six months into her tenure. Yeah. So, so there was definitely a long time where it was just Taylor and Shayla. Or was it three months into their tenure? Because, you know, math. Math is I, great. Yeah. Well, because... Okay, because Alyssa and Taylor, because Alyssa was already a ranger when Max joined. But they roughly joined around the same time. Right. And then you had Danny was the last to join within like a three month span before Cole came. Right. Um, I, yeah, so, but yeah, I think at least there was a three to to six month period where Taylor, it was just Taylor and Shayla. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the whole thing, is that Taylor, since she has seniority and also was coming from a military background, she was more of a lead- more of the leader before Cole showed up. And then she was mad when, like, Shayla <laughs> is just like, oh, well, you- the Red Lion called to you, and since the Lion is the king of the jungle, you're the leader now. It's just like- and then Cole just kind of acted like a big douchebag about- Unsuspect, unwittingly a douchebag. I'm gonna point that out. I'm gonna give some Cole credit. He was unwittingly douchey about it because he didn't really know how long Taylor worked to do things. Right. So, and and he kind of felt bad afterwards, too. Yeah. He really felt bad afterwards when, you know, Taylor ended up getting hurt. Yeah. Which, you know, good for the character growth and, like, I was also thankful because I was real worried in that first episode when there was that conflict between Taylor and uh, Cole that it was just gonna eventually going to establish them later as being kind of like a couple. And I was just like, oh, no, please don't. And I had to tell you, it's like, oh, no, that doesn't really happen. Like, Cole get- doesn't really get with anybody and Taylor just has this weird flirtation with Eric. They probably boned. We don't know. Yeah. Let's um, just say yes. Somebody got pegged. <laughs> Someone someone got pegged, and that was definitely Eric. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, I like to point out that Power Rangers uh, really doesn't do the belligerent sexual tension that much. Yeah, and like, 
I, I know that they don't at this point, but I was still just worried about it. Oh, yeah, because you see it so fucking often. It is such, like, the biggest... It's one of the, it's very weird that Power Rangers never really goes into that, like, heterotrope of kind of belligerent sexual tension. I think maybe... And I'm barely thinking this. I think maybe once, and it's... And not really, you know? Yeah, right. Um... So, but yeah, we we kind of declared her a, um, you know, one, it was very nice and I was very thankful for the fact that, like, her and Cole just kind of become bros and nothing else. But also we just kind of declared her a bisexual queen because she just gives off very strong bisexual vibes. She, she really does. Um, she, it, it, I think most people can agree. It's like, that, that lady's definitely bisexual. Yeah. Like, the series may never say it, but we know in our hearts. It's true. She's bisexual. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing we pointed out is, uh, did she desert the Air Force, which I think is a, a common thing that normally comes up with discussing Wild Force? Is yeah. Is she just leaves for a year? I think it's kind of implied, uh, I, I do believe it's implied in, like, uh, the episode where she gets the bears, um, actual bears, not bear bears. Um, mm-hmm. I know we were just talking about her being queer. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I think she's supposed to be, like, missing in action or something, like, nobody's found her yet. Or her plane. Yeah. And, like, she, like, even, like, when she walks by the Air Force base that, like, they think that they saw, like, the gate, like, not the agent at the gate, like, the guard at the gate is just like, hey, are you Taylor Earnhardt? And she's like, no, you're thinking of somebody else. Like, she's very bad about hiding the fact that she's supposed to be MIA. But, like, yeah, it's like, did she desert? Like, is, is she just, like, going MIA until, like, you know, her mission is over? And then they just let her back in. Yeah, like how do you how do you even explain that that you've been away for a year? Like what? Like how do you even explain that you've been away for maybe like a one year, two years? Like assuming that like this season takes place over a year, like most mm-hmm. seasons do, and that she's been a Power Ranger for a year before that. Like she's been away from the Air Force for two years. How do you explain what happened to you? <laughs> I was gonna joke and say crabs. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> you know, even in the world of Power Rangers, where you can probably definitely prove you were called to be a Power Ranger, and that's a thing, because, you know, we saw it with, like, Forever Red and um, Reinforcements from the Future, that Power yeah. Rangers are a known entity in the world. Right. Uh, it's still, like... You're probably gonna still get grilled of, like, okay, well, why didn't you do this while you were an officer? Yeah, and it's just like, I know it's Power Rangers, they're not going to explain it. They barely, they didn't even explain what was the whole thing with, like, um, Alex and Wes last season. So, like, I know Power Rangers is not going to explain it, but it's that definite fridge logic of you're going about your day, and then you're like, hang on. Yeah. like Power Rangers is kind of, like, amazing at fridge logic sometimes. Like, you're just going about your day, and then you're like, huh. How did Taylor get back into the Air Force? Yeah, because, like, wouldn't she have been, she would have been heavily questioned and, like, possibly up for a dishonorable discharge for, like, going AWOL. Or my, my, uh, my, my other two favorite is, huh, why is Miss Fairweather a miss and not a doctor? And also, the one we like to harp on, huh, Zardon's kind of a war criminal, isn't he? <laughs> Which, my favorite thing about that one is I didn't even realize this fridge horror until we started doing this podcast, and I've been vibing as a, like, a Power Ranger fan for decades. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're welcome for that. 
Um, kind of the last note we want to make about Taylor was that uh, it kind of comes up in this in the one episode with the carnival, like Team Carnival, um, which we'll talk about that in a little bit because um, that one just broke me as person. <laughs> um, is that she? There's a scene where she goes on a roller coaster with a uh, kite and Max, and she is not a fan. And um, afterwards, they're like, "You're you were an Air Force pilot. Why is that so weird for you?" And she's like, "I would like to be in control." <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's such just- a weird, uh, this was definitely, um, this in Time Force definitely took episodes from, like, their Sentai, and I do remember, I believe this is an episode from Gal Ranger, mm-hmm. or Gal Yellow, who, again, similar, he's an, he's a pilot in the military, and mm-hmm. they're like, why don't you like roller coasters, Gal Yellow? And he's like, fuck y'all. No. Because, <laughs> well, you can't say fuck you, that's why, and Power Rangers, so they gotta come up with a better excuse. <laughs> yeah. Um... Uh, uh yeah so i guess moving on to our next character uh is Alyssa uh, in relay who is the noble tiger uh she's kind of an interesting character in the fact that uh most of the time with i we're starting to see more and more like women characters just be in their own thing as opposed to the girly girl tomboy dynamic yeah and um i've talked about this before in the past but i think this is like when we were kind of deep into Buffy the Vampire Slayer being, like, a cultural, like, powerhouse. Um, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to watch Buffy until after it stopped airing, um, but... I didn't care to watch Buffy till after it stopped airing. Fair enough, but it was still very much influencing TV at the time, where, oh, yeah. like, more people wanted the quote-quote strong female characters. Oh, um, yeah. Which, and misunderstanding what the phrase strong female character means. But... Um, I, I definitely started to see around, and this would be 2002, so this is getting close towards the end of Buffy's run, um, but I, I definitely noticed that around the time of, like, you know, because Buffy the Vampire Slayer started in 97, and once we kind of start getting more into, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, they are definitely establishing more, girl like, girl characters with actual personalities beyond... You know, again, that tomboy, girly girl dynamic. Um, I will say Alyssa kind of comes across as the most, like, some of the early Power Rangers characters in this sense. Yeah. Because she's... she's, Yeah, she is ultra femme. Uh, She also kind of... She's the one that, like, cooks and cleans the Animarium, it looks like, while on top of, like, being on the Dean's list at her college. Yeah. So, like, she is definitely the uh, overachieving superstar um that every like that basically power rangers in those early seasons was all about yeah um Um, i do find it interesting uh real quick on her femininity it kind of it's very interesting how her and taylor just kind of feel like for lack of better terms the mom and dad of the animarium yeah a little bit because like Alyssa is the one who kind of takes care of everyone in terms of like you know she cooks she cleans she helps with training um, and she's doing all of this while still in school. And th- whereas Taylor is like, you know, she's the more, she's probably the oldest on the team, you know, based on the fact that like, she's an Air Force pilot. Um, yeah. And like, I don't know like what her rank was, but like, you know, considering the fact that, you know, she was not just like a rookie pilot, she was a very experienced and like, well-regarded pilot uh, within her unit that like, yeah, so she is 
pro- like, so she's definitely a bit older than the rest of the team, and she's very disciplined, and, like, she cares about the team, but she's kind of the one to kind of keep them on track. And then you have the three dumbasses <laughs> of Cole, Danny, and Max. And and just kind of the the weird weed-smoking grandma. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about Shayla in a bit. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I, I just like really, this is just something that came out to me while talking about it. It's like, huh, they kind of had like the family dynamic where, and it was just kind of weird that Taylor's kind of one of the more, the, the more the father figure of this group, as opposed to Alyssa, uh, who was the more mother figure. And also like around the same age as Max, I think a little older. So she was like one of the younger, youngest in the group too. Right. So like, I mean, we all know that maturity doesn't necessarily rely on age, um, but I think also for the fact that, like, I think it co- comes a bit from her background. Yeah. Um, is that, well, first of all, big deal about Alyssa, she has two parents that we see. Oh, yeah, that was, like, the weirdest thing. We, yeah. When we watched that dad episode, it was like, oh, my God, there's two of them. Yeah, and, like, you know, she's kind of, she's a little bit of a daddy's girl, as we see, but also, like, she... But, like, she comes from this background of, like, she was trained by her father to take up their her family's particular type of tiger-style kung fu. I believe kung fu. Uh, they, they keep saying tiger-style, but they don't explain what kind of, um, what kind of martial arts that they were actually, like, developed in. Mm-hmm. So I'm just gonna go with kung fu, and then somebody else can correct me on that later. Uh, but so she's trained in this particular style that is just her family- and so, like, she's being raised in basically the dojo her entire life and then tells her dad, I want to go to college. And he's like, but no, you need to take over the dojo. Um, that whole episode was weird because it's like, you find out in flashbacks that he's actually, like, really proud of her for making her own decision. And he, he's like, well, you know, she can take over the dojo when she wants to and do it, like, as a part-time thing. Yeah. And, and then also figures out she's a Power Ranger through her style. Yeah. And he's, like, really proud of her of that. And, like, she was worried that, like, he was going to be disappointed in her because she ended up running late. Uh, her professor was a real dick about it, though, because, you know, college. College. She, she Apparently that guy was definitely just angry he had to teach undergrads. Yeah, and it's like, that seems like the guy who takes attendance for, like, online classes, you know? Oh, my God. Anyway, um, but yeah, so... But yeah, Alyssa, I think she comes from a more disciplined background, so that's why she's kind of, I think she's more on the ball than most of the guys are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this is actually kind of the first time we see um, kind of her as a college, like, we see a college student and college within Power Rangers. And we saw a little bit of that with Dana in Lightspeed Rescue, but we didn't really, like, see her in depth with, you know, balancing school and being a ranger. Or in her, like, especially in her case, she's basically, like, a somewhat high-ranking official within this paramilitary group. Um, so, like, I don't know. Like, it's, yeah, so it was very interesting to kind of see her balancing college and being a Power Ranger and, you know, having to keep the Animarium from, like, falling into disrepair because, you know, you have three total boys that are just living there. <laughs> Who can't take care of themselves or shit. No. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, yeah, and, like, that's part of when episodes did focus on her. They did focus on her, like, what her life is. It's normally, like, she wakes up first, she does a little bit of training on her own, and then she, like, 
uh, goes to, to school after she's done breakfast for everybody. Yeah. And, and, like, a couple episodes revolve around her being a college student. Yeah, and, like, she's the one to help Cole figure out what happened to his parents. Th- th- through the through the library system. Yeah, which, by the way, the librarian in that episode is such a dick. Like, she just clearly does not want to be doing that job. Yeah, like, wow. I, like, and what gets me is, like, how libraries, like, in order to get to be a librarian is a lot of work. Like, like you you have have to go through a master's program of library science. Yeah, like, is she just mad about her student debt? (laughs) Did did Alyssa, like, yell at one time and and just made her mad? I don't know. Like, or did Alyssa dump her? I mean, she seemed much older than Alyssa, so I would not want to put it like that. (laughs) I forgot what she looked like for five minutes. And she was a middle-aged woman, I think. Maybe someone, maybe maybe a woman in her life looked a lot like Alyssa that dumped her. Uh, Yeah, let's say that. (laughs) Like, in her teen years? Yeah. Because some adults really do hold grudges from their teen years. Yeah, it's true. Um, But yeah, other than, so Alyssa... Uh, besides Cole, like, she's kind of the heart of the group. Like, she's one that kind of, like, makes decisions kind of based on her emotions and, like, tries to, like, appeal to people's better senses. Yeah. She's also, uh, because of that, like, she was the one that really brought up that Zenaku isn't what he appears to be. Yeah. Um, because, like, Zenaku helped her out when she was injured and, like, knocked out. With that bad vinyl. Oh god, that was, that was terrible. Um, and like that was kind of a big thing about in the episode where you know they find out because basically it's initially that they find out what happened to Cole's parents, and then they want to find out the details because it could be that like because since people think Cole is dead, like maybe his parents are still alive. Well, spoiler alert, they're not. But like you know they want to figure out the truth of like what actually happened to them. Um, yeah. But when she initially finds out what happened that they were declared dead, she initially is uncertain about whether they should tell Cole, especially because this is a, this was also the amnesia episode of the season. He went so, to a farm. Yeah. Yeah. He was on a farm for like a, all 10 minutes of an episode. Yeah. But side rant, uh, I love Hollywood and farms because like they will try to do quaint old antique technology with farming instead of like even small farms will have something to actually milk a cow. Right. Yeah, so, but yeah, so he's on this farm for all of 10 minutes, and they're just like, Alyssa's like, I don't know if we should tell him about what happened to his parents, Um, especially because when they're not certain how he'll get his memory back. Yeah. So she's like, do I ruin his life by telling him who he is and, like, what happened to his parents, or do I tell him the truth? Yeah, especially since he looked happy in his new life. Right. And And kind of a moral conundrum there. Yeah. Something that probably, like, Cheaty would cry over or something. <laughs> yeah, Cheaty has, like, an existential crisis over this for an entire episode. <laughs> Cheaty watches Power Rangers. <laughs> oh, God. Fic- fictional podcast we would watch. Cheaty yeah. watching Power Rangers. <laughs> and once again, he filibusters recess over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. His, his podcast on, on Wild Force Alone would be, like, four or five hours. Right. It's because he, like, he needs to tell you about what exactly about Nietzschean theory goes into Animus dying. 
put the peeps no, in the chili pot. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, neon election night, by the way. <laughs> okay, shit. Back um, on track, sorry. Yeah, no, we're good, we're good. Um, And kind of just going back to Alyssa... Uh, something weird we kind of noticed about the season is occasionally they would bring in a narrator for oh, yeah, some it was reason. So weird. And it was always at the, it was the end of the season too. Like all of a sudden we would hear like this narrator who we've late, we later found out wasn't the narrator for Robotech, but voiced people in Robotech. But it just kind of had this Robotech narration of like, and Princess Sheila fell asleep because she was depressed. I'm like, yeah, we can clearly see that. Why are you telling us? Yeah. And then you get to the very end of the series and where Alyssa's talking about what happened to the Rangers and it gets revealed that she's a teacher and she's telling the story to her class. Like, it's, she- Yeah. It's kind of like this big implied thing that... Literally, this entire season was just through Alyssa's point of view telling her class what happened, I'm guessing, like, a couple of years ago, probably because a kid was like, hey, like, what happened when the world turned dark and rained and shit? Yeah, and, like, well, one, they give Alyssa a pair of glasses as to designate a passage of time. (laughs) 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 Um, But secondly, so, yeah, it's implied that she's told the class, like, hey, here's what happened with the Power Rangers and, like, but not revealing that she was a Power Ranger either. Um, But, yeah, she tells the story about what happened to the Power Rangers. And so it's like, okay, so if you're setting this all up that Alyssa is telling this to the class, then why not have Alyssa narrate these moments? And why not have it kind of from the beginning? Because, like, one of the things in, like, I think the second episode or so, like, they actually have a woman uh tell her kid the story of the animarium with like taylor in the background listening right because it's implied that the animarium is like not necessarily real though people do think that it's real and are studying it which is why you know cole's parents got into this sticky situation to begin with but like everybody knows the story of the animarium in that particular universe yeah so like yeah, why not have, like, the narration of, of this entire season coming from the perspective of one of the rangers? Yeah, I was kind of like, that's an always an interesting perspective, I think, to do on something. Mm-hmm. But I oftentimes, I think it fell flat because, it uh, like, Power Rangers is an omnipresent point of view. Right. And, like, if you're telling it from a limited story, haha, Rashomon. Yeah. Um, you're going to have, like, someone else's point. You're going to have it that kind of, like, it's, I guess I'm having nine of those fridge logic, logic moments where, like, if this story is told from the point of view of Alyssa going back and, like, going back and telling her students this, how does she know some key points that she wasn't around for? Right. So. That's the- just a trap of that type of writing, though. Yeah, exactly. Like, how your, ma- your mother, I think, probably finds falls into that trap. I don't know. I didn't watch much of that show. Uh, from what I remember of it, yeah, it definitely does. Uh, but you also have to remember that Ted is an unreliable narrator in so many wa- uh, versions of that phrase. Oh, God. I'm, I'm sorry. You watched that show. Yeah. Um. Well, I, I gave up, like, part of the way through, like, season five, season six. Um, Understandable. And then, like, found out about the ending and was real mad about it. That ending was so bad. Oh my god, why? Who made that decision? Anyway, um... Straight so guess, people. Yeah, straight people. 
Uh, okay, so getting back on the topic of Power Rangers. Um, so moving on to uh, our next one and a kind of our second shortest tenured member would be Danny Delgado, a.k.a. Iron Bison. Uh, so he's kind of a soft big boy. And that's not a bad thing. That's not necessarily... I love soft big boys. Like, like big, strong men who are big softies that do, like, floral and sleep with teddy bears. Which, yes, is an actual thing. He sleeps with a teddy bear. It's really cute. It's really cute. Um, but, you know, Danny kind of falls into uh, a little bit just kind of one note. Which just kind of is sad for me. Because I'm like, oh, you could... I guess I'm like, hey, comics, give me a Danny and Max story. Right. Um, so yeah, so especially with like him, is as we mentioned, he's the newest member until Cole shows up, and he used to be a florist. Um, and his whole thing about when he was a florist is that he had a massive crush on his coworker who was named Kendall. And it actually comes up in a not just one, but two episodes about <gasps> his whole crush on Kendall. Oh no. What happened? Power Rangers has matured. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I thought you were reading the news about something. Oh, no. <laughs> you oh, said no. that way too seriously. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um. All right. But yeah, so Power Rangers has matured. We have a character that shows up for multiple episodes. And not just that. Like, basically, there's the second episode we see Kendall in. Um, there's this whole thing about her who's going, about her going out with this rich guy i don't even remember what his name was i just remember him being a massive asshole oh he was such an asshole richie rich pants let's call him jeff bezos yeah exactly so yeah she's starting to see this guy jeff and like he is basically talking about how much money he has and like how he's gonna be a better fit for like um for her to take care of her than Danny ever could be. And, like, he bought her a super nice tennis bracelet while Danny only made her, like, a silly-looking, like, friendship bracelet. Uh, it was not silly. It was actually very cute. But, you know, he's being a dick. Uh, which, surprisingly, they didn't go the dick route of him throwing out the bracelet. Yeah, like, he's like, okay. Like, I'll give it to her, but I'll just, like, be- I'll just berate you and how poor you are the entire time. Oh, his name was Colin. Oh, that is definitely a rich asshole name. <laughs> Colin Mockery notwithstanding. <laughs> that That is very much like, I, I was born into money. It's like, Colin. Um, but yeah, so at the end of the episode, she decides to dump him, Colin, but tells Danny that they can't be together because he's too dedicated to being a Power Ranger. Womp, womp, womp. But luckily, he doesn't turn into a brony frenzoni over it. Yeah, he he actually, like, he's sad about it. I think there's a little bit of a hook that maybe, you know, after after it's done and over with, like, there there's a chance to return. But, you know, he, he ends up traveling the globe with Max because I think they forgot Kendall existed. Yeah, because this is Power Rangers. Um, the fact that Kendall was in more than one episode was kind of a miracle. Yeah. Um... But yeah, no, he didn't kind of, like, it wasn't, it was treated as a very, like, bittersweet, sad ending to the arc. Right. But, like, Danny didn't turn into a fucking asshole over it, and also handled it very gracefully. Like, you could tell he was heartbroken, but he handled it, like I said, very gracefully, and didn't be like, well, fuck you, bitch. Yeah, so, you know, good for Danny. And, um, as we mentioned with him and Max, they, uh, they shared approximately one brain cell between the two of them. 
Never give up. Yeah, it's like it, like it happened. That was something that happened to them, like one of their first times out as rangers. And like they just said, I think it was like Max said it to Danny. It was just like never give up. And then they just say that to each other for the rest of the series. And yeah, what's funny is because you know we both love Galaxy Quest. Um, when we first kind of. And I done this when I wa- did it when I watched it, and when you, you were watching it, we just felt like it was empty just to say never give up, because the next part of it is, of course, never surrender. Yeah. So it's like, I get it, you can't really say, ne- well, no, I don't think, I'm not certain if Galaxy Quest was already out at this point or not. It may have been, but like, maybe just came out. But it's just, yeah, it just feels so weird to just be like, hey, never give up. And it's like, so ne- there's nothing after that? Never surrender? <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, as we said about, yeah, they share, like, Max and Galaxy Danny- Quest came out in 99. Okay, so yeah. They could have just easily said never surrender after that, but I guess they didn't want to get, like, copyright slammed. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, so they, so Danny and Max are kind of the closest to each other on the team. Um, to, again, to the point that after the series, like, after, like, they are done being Power Rangers, they decide that they're just gonna travel the world together. Cause yeah, that's, that was, that's straight. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that's totally fucking straight right there. Yeah, so, I don't know, I'm kind of running out of things to say about Danny, cause unfortunately- We, we also did in our show notes, cause it's just like, dumb super strong was the last thing we noted about him, is he, he has super strength and it's never really, like, called upon, and it's not as good as Katie's, yeah. we know. Yeah, because Katie and her unnatural, like, genetically engineered super strength. Yeah, because it's just like, yeah, Danny is very sweet, but, like, he is one of the rangers that kind of gets the short end of the stick this season, and especially in a season where, like, the show is more plot-driven than character-driven. Yeah. Like, him and Max kind of get, like shifted a lot uh short shifted a lot of the time yeah which um let's get to max cooper aka surging shark uh his big kind of thing when he does come up in episodes is he hates being called a kid even though he's pretty immature as a person yeah and it's like i think it's also implied that he's like 18 so he's definitely the youngest member of the team yeah it is implied he's the youngest i think like Alyssa's like a year or two older than him um with like i think taylor and danny this is how I feel. Taylor and Danny are probably the oldest with yeah. Cole. Uh, Cole had been a confirmed age of 20, I think. 20 or 21. Yeah. Because he, uh, he was born in like 1980 or 1981 or something. He's yeah. 1982. It's on on the gravestone. Yeah, it's 1982. So he was 20 years old. Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah, he's definitely kind of the, so he's definitely the kid of the team. So, but the way that like Max gets mad about it is the same way Dipper gets mad about being called like not a teenager in Gravity Falls. It's basically like, I'm 18. I'm technically an adult. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's also got, as we mentioned, he's one of the more longer tenured members of the team because he kind of comes in around the same time Alyssa does. Yeah, like, I think Alyssa was, like, a few weeks before him or something, because they're around the same time frame. Yeah, um, we do at least know that Alyssa was a ranger before him, uh, because she comes up in the episode where they explain how he joined the team, uh, which, by the way, that episode is stupid as fuck, like- Okay, (laughs) yeah, like, it was, it was the- okay, first off, it, like, the weird thing it implies is it- is Danny, like, an orphan? Or, or, wait, or Max is an orphan. Are we talking about... Yeah, is Max an orphan? 
Yeah, and then like it kind of so basically he talks about how he would go and bowl for fun, and then like he had uh there's somebody who was an older like somebody older who worked at the bowling alley was teaching him how to bowl better. And then, like, he has to, like, give up on bowling because he becomes a Power Ranger. And then, what was the old guy's name? Like, I feel like it was, like, a stereotypical kind of Italian older man name. Don! Don, okay, that's it. So, like, then Don gets mad that, like, (laughs) gets mad that, like, Max gave up on bowling. And then I sat there and was just like, is this the episode with Chad Sensei, but dumber? (laughs) And it was. It was. It was. Because it was all about, like, Don's mad at Max because Max gave up on bowling when he could have been really good at bowling because he needed to go be a Power Ranger instead. Uh, But by the end of the episode, he learns his lesson to be less of a dick and pass on his knowledge to other younger people in the bowling community. Yeah, but doesn't really find out that, like, I think Max is a Power Ranger either, so that's kind of weird. Yeah, so it's like, what was the whole point? (laughs) And as we mentioned, him and Danny are very close. Like, the whole, like, never give up thing between the two of them. Uh, we'll definitely say Max is the smarter brain cell. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is about their one brain cell, but it's a little bit smarter when Max has it. <laughs> um, but yeah, him, like I said, him and Danny just get the short end of the stick in terms of character development this season. Like, there's some really great moments between them, and they are very much kind of, there are a little bit of the comic relief. Um, especially because, you know, Danny being, you know, the big soft boy and Max being kind of the baby of the team. Um, I will say, I think Max gets a little bit more focus episodes in terms of like, you know, the plot focusing around him or something he's doing. Yeah, Max often gets more plot focus episodes, whereas Danny, I think, just got the whole arc with Kendall. Yeah. Also, I feel like Max out of the two in the relationship is Danny's the soft, strong boy and Max is like, Excuse me, my friend would like a happy meal. <laughs> my friend asked for no pickles. My friend asked for no pickles. Yeah, that's that is definitely their relationship. Um, and as we said, the ending with him and Danny is is a little gay. Yeah, it's you know you already kind of have that weird like slightly older gay man thing going on with the younger person, even though even though like the roles kind of switch again, like. Max would be the one be like, excuse me, my friend asked for no pickles. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of like they went globetrotting somehow. I, I'm guessing one of them, like, if Max is an orphan, I'm just going to guess that he, like, like some inheritance came his way or something. Yeah. <laughs> and or they're just, just glo- sneaking on boats. Or they're just sneaking on boats. Uh, either way, our, our Power Rangers has uh, more socialist uh, ideas of travel. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? But it's just like they they sent it's implied they sent postcards to Alyssa and one of my favorites is that like if you pause each postcard you can actually read what it says. My favorite was one from New York, I think from Danny, that said, Ah, oh, we're in New York. I'm glad I didn't get mugged. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think my favorite part about that is Max in the uh, in the Knicks jersey. Oh yeah. That would have been when the I think when the Knicks might have been good. <laughs> Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, man. Um, So kind of moving on from them, because unfortunately there's not a whole lot going on with uh, Max and Danny. Uh, we yeah. have our sixth ranger of Merrick, a.k.a. Howling Wolf, a.k.a. Zenaku. We talked about it earlier, how he kind of is one of the few characters 
that goes through a whole internal arc and everything, and that's because of Zanaku. So, back 3,000 years ago, before the Animarium disappeared and everything, um, Merrick grabbed the Zunaku mask and essentially turned himself into a quasi-werewolf. Right. To defeat Master Org in combat. But the downside was, you know, Zanaku fused with him and he kind of became uh, a soul that was cursed because of it. Right. And he attacked the rangers. He didn't kill them or anything, but he he definitely, like, felt like, even though it was basically him fusing with Zunaku, Zanaku and Zanaku taking over, uh, Zanaku uh, basically tried to kill his friends as Merrick. So that was bad. Yeah. Um, uh. So I think for him, so as we mentioned with Merrick earlier, is that he kind of has to go on this whole journey of self-forgiveness. Uh, not just for what he did to the Rangers, but kind of what happened over 3,000 years ago and how he kind of feels at fault for what happened to Shayla in the Animarium when Master Ord attacked. Yeah. And um, the reason why I bring, bring up him and Zanaku, unlike, say, you know, people when they talk about um, Astronema versus Corone, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> harking back to some old shit, uh, <laughs> Zanaku, like, was, like, basically an org that took over in Cursed Merrick. Yeah. Uh, Like, and it had the weird werewolf plot where, like, Zanaku, I think, was at his full strength and stuff during a full moon. Whereas, like, the new moon is when Merrick was able to kind of wander the earth. Right. Uh, which, that led to a very weird plot line about, like... Like, Cole found Merrick, like, bathing during the new moon, and it's like, okay, why are you peeping Tom on somebody when they're just trying to, like, you Bathe know- Bathe with their dog. Yeah. Uh, which that was also hilarious, because it's just like, oh, that is just very clearly the Sentai footage. Yeah! <laughs> like, this is the Sentai footage. The Sentai does get spicy. Actually, the end, the uh, ending theme of Gal Ranger. What they do is they play this kind of serene, beautiful theme over everyone being shirtless. Okay. <laughs> I need to get back to watching Gal Ranger. That was a trip. Okay. Um. But you know, back back to that. It's like Merrick. Um, Merrick has a little bit more leniency. I feel than. How people approached Rodin, Corona, and then Stranima until very recently. Right. And the fact that, yeah, he was taken over by an evil entity and cursed. Right. But he still takes it upon himself to be like, I hurt people, even though they're no longer alive. One of them is, however. Right. I gotta learn to forgive myself. Right. And, um, so yeah, since the one person that's still alive, um, as we noted here, he is, uh, definitely Princess Shayla's boy toy. Yeah, they they definitely hinted very heavily that they were in a relationship before the Zanaku thing. Or if they weren't in a relationship, they were still just very into each other. Yeah, like, it was very, it's like either they were in a relationship or like, he, they were kind of in that weird courting phase. Right. I don't know how dating works. Yeah, I think it was just that they were very into each other, but they just never acted on it. And then like you know, any chance of them acting on it 3,000 years ago went out the window when, you know, Master Org attacked and they had to, like, put Shayla to sleep in order to protect her and, you Mm -hmm. know, get the Animarium off Earth. And then, like, they just never really act on it the entire time during Power Rangers. (laughs) They sort of do! And it's just kind of like... 
We'll get into that. But yeah, she, he just kind of definitely comes off as like, either they just hit it off or something went, basically something went wrong 3,000 years ago and they're trying to pick up where they left off. Right. And it's just awkward because Merrick is in his feelings about everything that happened 3,000 years ago. Yeah. Where Shayla, it was very interesting. Like, there was this one episode where Shayla finally figured out that, like, the reason why he doesn't go on the Animarium is because it literally is like a PTSD trigger to him. Yeah, and, like, she initially just comes across as, like, do you not like me anymore? Do you not like hanging out with me? It's like, I don't think it's necessarily about you, Shayla. And she finally figures it out. Thanks, Dear Zord. Shout out to Dear Zord. Oh, I love Dear Zord. He is a a messy bitch. (laughs) Um, so, like, I guess kind of just moving on from, like, him and Princess Shayla. Merrick has some of the worst hair I've ever seen in Power Rangers. (laughs) It is so bad! I don't I know how they managed to make hair that bad, but then I also remember it was 2002. 2002, uh, be- it's fun looking at, like, pop culture around, for me at least, uh, 2000 to 2002. It feels a lot like looking at styles and culture, uh, like, the 1990s to 1993, of where it's like, it's trying to morph into something else, but it's still heavily, like, in another time period. Oh, yeah. So, and so sometimes you just see these fads of, like, you know, you have, like, the spiked hair or frosted tips or whatever's going on with, like, Merrick's, like, weird half bowl cut with, like, just a, just a scotch of blonde highlights. <laughs> You know, I just realized something talking about this. This is when Christopher Daniels made most of his bad hair choices. Oh, no. Oh, God, you're <laughs> right. I mean, I sent you that one picture of Alex Shelley from 2004. I'm like, man, 2004 wasn't kind to anybody. <laughs> so, yeah, wrestler, wrestlers are kind of a good gauge of weird men's haircuts. Especially, you know, as as what I pointed out, if you're balding and, and want to be in denial about it. <laughs> uh, but Merrick's hair was just like, it was this weird mushroom cut. Mm-hmm. Like the one, it al- like, we- almost like it came from like looking at Justin's old hair and like, yeah, that, that works. Let's just remove the bangs. But put this weird area where the bangs should be, just make it silver. Yeah, and then, like, as you noted here, it was kind of, it was a little bit of a proto-scene haircut, I think. Yeah. Um, because, like, it's that, it's that middle area between the, the boy band bad boy cut, where, like, you know, where any of the bad boys in, like, a boy band were kind of given this weird alternative cut of their hair, where like non-threatening bad boy. Well, yeah, non-threat. I would not call. I would not call AJ McLean from the Backstreet Boys uh, threatening in any way. Yeah, like just threatening enough. Just threatening. You know, he's got the tattoos. He's got like kind of the weird little bit of Dennis Rodman hair, but he does not have Dennis Rodman's like criminal record. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's like he's just on Dancing with the Stars. He is not threatening in any way. Um. Congratulations to Artem said by the way. <laughs> he, he's he's a father and he but won any, Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. But anyway, so he, uh, so he's like, his hair is kind of in this middle point of like, it's got a little bit of that boy band bad, bad boy cut, but it's not, we are not yet to the emo, the prime emo haircuts of the mid 2000s. 
Which I don't think shows up in Power Rangers, oddly enough. At least for the men. For the women, like, some of the scene emo haircuts do show up. Huh. But for the men, they kind of keep that, like, the bro 2000s look. Oh, that's disappointing. I want to see Power Rangers men with the mid-2000s hair flip. <laughs> <laughs> How things should have gone in the Disney era. Exactly. I, like, I need emo rangers. <laughs> Which I know that I know about the emo rangers parody. It's on our list to cover in the future. <laughs> it's like the closest we got was Merrick. Yeah, this is this is it. This is our proto emo boy. He is he is sad and he has bad hair. I think maybe Trent and Dino Thunder, but that's really all I can think of. Like everyone else, just no no weird emo haircuts. Yeah. So yeah, and also the, the other weird thing about Merrick is that he has the powers of pool. Oh my god. And we don't mean pool as in the swimming pool. We mean pool as in billiards. This is like the weirdest fight. It's one of those that's like, huh, I forgot this exists in a lot of forest and it delights me every time, you know? Yeah, no, it is It is goofy as hell. This is definitely goofy kid show logic. And like, so like the powers of pool come up because he has the three zords and like they have kind of the zord crystals. I don't know what mm-hmm. they called them. But he has, like, the crystals, and so, like, he'll set up, like, this whole pool set up where he puts them down and he, like, he uses them to knock, like, his opponent silly. Or, like, in the one case with the one episode where he learns that one trick with the cue ball that, like, ends up using with the zords and the armadillo zord. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how this make, makes sense with him being the howling, like, the, the howling wolf, the silver lunar wolf ranger. I, I, there's a logic gap there, but you know what? Sure. <laughs> sure, he plays pool. Okay. We'll get into that, like, later about the weirdness that is, this is an environmental season and everything of, of where it's based off, but yeah, like, a lot of the gimmicks kind of are like, we wanted sports, too. Yeah, and that, I know that also comes from Gow Ranger, so... Yeah, like... What the fuck? Just, just what the fuck? Just, just, it just sounds like Toei... When this when this whole thing was created, it was just like, hey, I know we agreed on animals, but can you add a little bit of sports stuff in there? Right. All right. Well, we talked about Merrick and a little bit about Shayla. So let's get into Shayla. She was not Zordon. I will give her that. Um, um, they don't really get into what Shayla's whole deal is. It's kind of just like the most we can kind of get from her is that she's some sort of weird demigod. Who may have, like, vague powers. They don't explain if she's human at all. Um, <laughs> okay. I I try not to talk about weird in-jokes from my own life on this podcast, but I feel like I have to explain this to try to explain what kind of vibe Shayla gives off. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, so back in my early 20s, to early to mid-20s, I used to be heavily into uh burn culture so kind of like um especially with regional burning man events based in georgia uh i don't do that anymore still but it's still very influential in my life uh at one of the burn events my friend dan played a set a dj set of this band called my dick and literally all the band did was that they would sing songs mostly from the 80s i don't know why they would sing these songs, these cover songs, but they would just add my dick in the place of certain words at any given... And it wasn't, like, a particular 
It was kind of random. I think they just put it in wherever they thought it was funniest. And at one of these burns, he does it at like two in the morning. And it's burn it was burn night, so everybody's awake anyway. And it was funny, it was hilarious, you know, it helped us keep warm for the rest of the night. Whatever. The next Monday or Tuesday, after we all get home, uh, on the Facebook group for this particular burn, this woman posts this rant <laughs> where she was complaining about the misogynistic music coming from center camp during the peak hour of consciousness. And everybody <laughs> went insane. <laughs> the peak hour of consciousness. <laughs> so, like, this is what I feel like Shayla is like. She's just like, <laughs> like she is all about finding the peak hour of consciousness to be better in tune with the earth. And Danny and Max just keep fucking it up. <laughs> <laughs> I want this fix suddenly, you know? Yeah. Just of Shayla kind of quietly taking Taylor aside and being like, look, we need to talk about Danny and Max screaming never give up at the peak hour of consciousness. <laughs> and Taylor's just like, okay. <laughs> I will see what I can do. <laughs> um, just that just well, mostly just kind of goes into like the, my view of Shayla is that like she's kind of a hippie. She's not a bad hippie. She's actually a pretty good hippie. I like Shayla. She's a little useless, but she's also delightful. So like yeah. you can't stay mad at her, you know? Uh, yeah. It's, what are the things like a lot of people point out with Shayla is like, oh, she's useless. You know, she gets kidnapped, blah, blah, blah. And we'll get into that. But, um... It feels like, you know, it's like, yeah, but I still like her because, you know, unlike, say, Demetria, you know, who just didn't do anything. Yeah. Just spoken riddles and then fucked off. Or, you know, uh, or Zordon's whole, like, wow, I didn't realize you kind of suck, Zordon. Yeah. Like, and more like Zordon kind of handholds. It's like, Shayla just kind of vibes. And I'm okay with that, you know? Yeah, so, like, yeah, Shayla's just there. She's on the Animarium. She's vibing. She's, like, like she loves the Power Rangers. She wants to make sure that, you know, they get their shit done. She offers useful advice sometimes. <laughs> yeah. um, She's mostly there kind of to help facilitate, like, communication with the Animarium and the Wild Zords, basically, mm -hmm. and tell about the history. More so than she actually is there to dispense advice on the fight. That, that actually, I kind of like her, like, that goes into Cole and, like, uh, Taylor's wheelhouse often. Right. Um, and yeah, as we mentioned before, we don't really know she's human. Like, we know she is, like, somewhat of an ancient being, um, that she has some sort of power, but, like, it's kind of ill-defined. I- I've noticed this, like, when we're just kind of talking about it in the episode, I was just noticing, like, uh, you know, back when we were talking about Merrick and stuff, I'm like, you know, we never see Princess Shayla actually go to sleep unless it was sending the Animarium off. She never sleeps. Yeah, and, like, she talked about it briefly once in an episode where they're just like, hey, you never sleep. And she's like, I slept for 3,000 years. I don't really want to anymore. Yeah. So, like, okay, so she doesn't really need sleep. And, like, you know, the rest of the Rangers, because even Merrick, even though Merrick is over 3,000 years old because he's been wandering the Earth with his soul connected to an org. Um, but, yeah, but we know he's human. So what's Shayla's whole deal? Like, yeah. Uh, one of the things I joked when we write the podcast is that she was Jesus. Yeah, because we were, you know, because, you know, God's involved in the season. So you have 
Animus is God. Shayla is Jesus. And uh, who do we say the Holy Spirit was? Kite. Ah, yes, Kite. Kite was the Holy Spirit. This is why, I don't know why we let ourselves have a podcast. I mean, who let us have a podcast? Who let us have a podcast? We did. Yeah, we We enabled us. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I was just like, is she Jesus? Yeah. I mean, we will say, though, we don't know if she's Jesus, but she definitely feels like she would be a massive Kate Bush fan. Oh, yeah, we just kept on making Kate Bush jokes. Yeah, she just has that just uh, appropriate Kate Bush vibe of, like, you know, she's wearing the long, flowy dresses. She frolics. Like, she sings to the animals. The animals, rather, the, the wild zords in the animarium. Uh, she's just, oh my god, she is an absolute, yeah, she is just, she is distilled Kate Bush music. Yeah, it actually, like, both of us ended up going into a Kate Bush binge because of it. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it just just felt like the appropriate, like, next step of me being, like, mostly alone for the past, like, eight months. It was just like, sure, let's just get super into Kate Bush now. Listen to Hounds of Love while I'm working and just, like, get in my feelings about the ninth wave. (laughs) (laughs) As... Uh, my my favorite thing I pointed out was when you did that poll was like, oh, it's hell to love, and you'll see why. And you're like, I I didn't realize you're being literal. Yeah, no, you were absolutely literal when you said hounds of love. Um, though I will say, most people did answer on the poll that it was Wuthering Heights, which is probably the correct answer. But I still prefer cloud busting. <laughs> cloud busting's a neat song. Yeah, it is. I feel like Shayla would sing any of those songs at karaoke, though. Yeah, let's be real. She'd sign any of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So like, one of the things I think we we pointed out really is like they really did make her helpless. She she gets kidnapped so much, and then end of the series, she suddenly knows karate. Yeah, because it's just like it felt like any time Shayla left the animarium, she got kidnapped. Like I think the only there's only like one time she leaves the animarium where she does not get kidnapped. That's it. <laughs> Out of, like, yeah, the five it, or six times she leaves the animarium in the series. And I, I think when she did leave that animarium that one time, it was with the rangers. Right. Because they were trying to figure out what was going on with Kite. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, it was just, like, why... Why is she so helpless? And also, how does her dress never get dirty? That was the weirdest thing. It's just, like... You just kept pointing out, it's like, her dress never gets dirty. Yeah, because there would be times that she falls to the ground, but, you know, when she leaves the animarium, and she gets knocked to the ground, or, like, that one time she, you know, she suddenly knew karate in, like, one of the last episodes of the series. It's like, why is this coming up now? <laughs> but, yeah. Like, why, why, why didn't this show up before? Yeah, but none of those times does she ever get a speck of dirt on that pristine white dress. So I just, I'm pretty I'm yeah. pretty sure the product department had like several dresses on standby. Oh yeah. And they they probably bleached the shit out of those things. Oh yeah. I know logically that's the answer. Like, you know, behind the scenes there's like five million like Shayla dresses that they rotate between. But like Which, <laughs> in actual universe, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, so it's Again, like, this is this is something a kid wouldn't notice, but you know, you we as adults who been around fabric. Yeah. It's like, so not even once, like, not even towards the end, when, like, everybody is getting their ass handed to them by the, by Master Org, does her dress ever stain. <laughs> yeah, it's like, 
I said I was gonna say it's because she's Jesus. It kind of dropped there a little bit. Yeah, she's yeah, it's Je- she's Jesus. So therefore, she has ultra Scotch guard on her dress. Yeah. Um, I guess the next uh, and final ally we were talking about is Animus, who is literally Zord God. Yeah, I was just like when he showed up, and I was just like, wait, there's a literal Zord God in this season. And I think I mentioned it before, but it was kind of like one year at the other, or you probably were like, okay, yeah, whatever. Jay's pro- uh, probably, like, pulling my leg or exaggerating. I mean, granted, I also thought you were fucking with me about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure for at least a year. That That is my favorite thing. <laughs> it's just you finding out things like, no, Iggy's a stan user. Or, like, somebody's soul is literally in a turtle. And this is like, uh, Jules is just fucking with me, and then you find out, no, those are actual fucking things in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, so, like, you may have told me about Animus being a god at some point, and I just, was, I just thought you were kidding. It's like, oh, there, there's Jules, that weird kidder again. <laughs> and then it's like, no, no, there's no. literally, but God is literally a character in this series. <laughs> Um, and yeah, he first shows up actually as, like, a Zord, and then later in the series, uh, shows up as, as Kite, and I feel like he's kind of the god of nature. Yeah, it's like, they don't really explain what entirely his whole deal is, or what he's the god of, or is he just sort of, like, Arceus? Like, he's the god of all Zords, god of all Power Rangers, god of all he surveys. Yeah. Um, now I'm just, I don't know why, I'm just imagining, like, <laughs> Kite is Beta Arceus? <laughs> oh, I don't know why that popped in my head, but it's just I it was funny, I had to get it out. <laughs> and yeah, well it's so funny because like you see Animus and everything, and then Kite shows up, and it's kinda obvious who Kite is, but not to the Rangers. Mm-hmm. But my favorite thing is how he got his name. He shows up as this little boy in a construction site and everything. Mm-hmm. He got his name because he looked up and saw a kite stuck in a tree. Oh, God, at least it was a kite, not something else, you know? Yeah. Like, if you looked up and there was, like, a pair of sneakers in there, or some woods porn. (laughs) The sneakers would have been funny. It's like, I am shoes. (laughs) And Cole would have been fine with that, actually, because Cole was the one who found him. And Cole's like, like, I'm allergic to those things. Yeah, and, well, the thing is is that Cole is is skeptical of, like, his name being Kite, but he kind of just rolled with it. Yeah. So, like... You know, I think that's just Cole being Cole. Um, yeah, Cole just accepting people, like, are telling the truth, so. But yeah, it's, it's very weird about the whole, the, the kite arc itself is very weird. And, like, it's a whole thing about, like, he was dragged over from another dimension by the other rangers when they were put under a test. By Animus, I think, too. Yeah, so, like... So he gets dragged into this dimension, and they don't really figure out for several episodes that he's Animus. And, like, he goes through this whole thing where he's just like, oh, humanity has polluted the planet and ruined everything. I fucking hate humans. I'm not helping out humans anymore. Humans stink. Yeah. And then, like, so he just leaves. And, like, he's just like, I am a, like, I, you, you can no longer have access to the Zords because you don't know how to use them, even though, like, Hey, who are the ones who've been putting on the work all season? It's the Power Rangers. Yeah. And it goes to this whole thing of trying to, like, basically convincing God to help us protect what he created. Yeah. Uh, Which eventually he does 
relent and give them back the Zords. Um, but basically says that he's going to stay out of it, like helping the rain. Like, I think he comes and helps the Rangers at one more point. But like, he basically says he's going to stay out of human affairs. Then he gives Cole a sweet bike, too. <laughs> a sweet bike. Uh, and you brought up he comes back. He does come back to help with affairs again. It has to do with the big battle at the end. And he later, like, it, it's basically kind of the big crux, I think, also on Merritt's point of he felt like he abandoned Animus years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he's like, well, I can come back to the fight and help Animus out. So he helps Animus out and then he dies. Yeah, Animus just fucking dies. <laughs> like, like, turns back to Kite, they bring him to the Animarium and he dies in Merrick's arms. It's like, has Merrick not gone through enough already? <laughs> Merrick just had, like, his god die in his arms. Like, like wow. Th- to quote John Mulaney on that episode, we don't have time to unpack on all that. <laughs> no, it's, we don't have time to pa- unpack all of that. <laughs> like, I, gu- I guess it's another thing I would love to see in the future of getting tackled. And even if I do it as, like, a Transformer their work, it's just kind of like Merrick as a character and all he went through. Oh, God, yeah. I think that was why I was like, I was like, I want to fucking write a Shayla Merrick comic after this. What the fuck is this shit? <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, but yeah, uh, what, what was interesting for me with talking about kind of the death of God and everything was I told you a little bit about my conspiracy theory. It's so funny, like, Power Ranger fans, they all have, like, one bit of continuity they will always tie something to. Mm-hmm. And mine's, like, Aerotan from this one episode of Turbo, that that weird embodiment of nature that shows up to TJ, and it, it was an environmentalist episode, and you never see him again. That was Animus, in my opinion. I mean, I believe you? Um... I had totally blocked that episode out of my mind until you mentioned it again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just, it was something I remember, uh, it was like my second time or something watching Turbo, and I'm like, it was right after I think watching Wild Force, I'm like, wait, if Aerotan's kind of like Mother Nature, essentially, mm-hmm. and that's what Animus is, I promise I wasn't fucking high for this either. I, mean, I, I maybe was you. drunk, it was college, right. but. I mean, I... Yeah, that would make sense, especially if, like, at this point in Power Rangers, they're still trying to establish that it's a one linear continuity. Uh, so, yeah, like, uh, yeah, so I guess maybe, like, Erutan could be Animus. I find this is, uh, the, I, I'm not trying to douse other fan theories, but I'm like, why isn't anyone linking into this? And it's like, that's because you're a dorkhead. Yeah. It is because you're a dorkhead. And, like, learning about the Phantom Ranger's identity is way more interesting. Yeah, and then that absolutely went fucking nowhere. It <laughs> really did went fucking nowhere! Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of it for our allies. Um, I mean, you really can't go anywhere after God dies. <laughs> yeah, God, God died. This is why I did the Nietzsche quote, by the way, on the podcast Twitter. Yeah, that's, uh... Yeah, that's appropriate. <laughs> you know, I fucking... Uh, oh, for the record, I am not into Nietzsche's... Nietzsche may have been, a, like, basically the father of nihilism, but he was a stupid, dumb proto-Nazi, so fuck him. Yeah, exactly. Just, but now I'm just thinking of, like, uh, Cheaty and his nihilist moment with the fucking chili. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm gonna eat this chili or die trying. <laughs> and or die trying, that's it. Anyway, um... 
So let's move on to our villains, uh, which our core set of villains this season is actually kind of small. Yeah. Um, now to say that there aren't villains of the week, because this is Power Rangers. Like, if there were- Or villains that kind of show up, but they just don't really add much to the plot. Right. Beyond just being there. Yeah, so, but yeah, let's get into our- our villains for the season. So our first is our our kind of our org duo of Jindrax and Toxica. They they are very much Team Rocket, oh. and I love them for it. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. They are the Team Rocket of the orgs and the season. They are absolute goofballs who want to take over the world, but they are kind of incompetent at it. Yeah, but they're sweet, kind of in their own way. <laughs> Yeah, definitely in their own, like, species way of basically being within orgs. And uh, kind of the main thing that they go through. There are also, like, I think the few characters that actually go through an arc in the show. Yeah, so, like, you know, you have the arc with Merrick and you have the arc with Cole. But they also do kind of have their own arc within, you know, the villain. Like, their villainy is that they are the last orgs on Earth for a very long time. And um, so, but then they find... They believe they found Master Org again, or at least the original Master Org. Uh, but then they kind of go through an identity crisis when they find out, like, oh, wait, Master Org is a human. And, you know, we want to find, you know, appropriate leadership for us. And, like, like oh, wait, all of these people suck. <laughs> yeah, like, they, they resurrect Matalock, I think. And it just turns out, like, Matalock is just this horrible fucking creature and it really just showed, like, how Jindrax and Tosica, as much as we established orcs have no hearts, Jindrax and Tosica just had each other for years. And it kind of goes into, I, I hate bringing this point up, but it, it's like, it, it rejects tradition almost to be, in, like, that's what they end up doing. Right. And, like, I think that was especially because, like, especially for them, they, as you mentioned, they had each other and they still only have each other. Yeah. And, like, because there's so- this whole episode where Jindrax... Like, he thinks Toxica is dead because, like, she cut off her horn because, um, oh god, what was his name? The Ninja Org. Oh, crap. We forgot to write that guy's name down because he really wasn't that important. Right? I mean, he's only there for an episode. I'm looking it up. Someone's gonna be like, well, actually, he was around for, like, three episodes. I'm like, I don't care. He didn't really do anything. Onikage. Onikage, yeah. It's like, he really didn't do anything except, like, be Madelac's bitch, so... I keep talking about him. Yeah, so, yeah. but yeah, Onikage, like, it's just like, oh, well, if you cut off your horn, that will allow you to, you know, touch the touch the water in the Animarium and attack Shayla, but it'll grow back. You're a Duke Orc. That's fine. And then it turns out he fucking lied to her. And then yeah, they, just- they're, like, Mandalock and Onikage are willing to sacrifice Toxica to meet their own end. And so there's yeah, this- it's and even Jindrax at the end, too. Like, Jindrax really feels it when he tries to use Princess Shale as a bargaining chip. Yeah, and, like, so, especially, like, get, with all of this happening, they kind of make a decision. Like, well, there one, Jindrax actually helps the Rangers in order to meet his own goal. So he's not, what I would say, a totally good guy in this case. But he's like, I need to get Toxica back. And he does. And then at that point, they kind of decide, hey... You know what? Fuck this shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you guys are a bunch of horrible bastards. And we kind of realized that. It's kind of one of those, um, I feel like looking at Jindrax and Tatsuka, as much as they were monsters, especially Jindrax, because um, normally in Power Rangers, the more human look, the more lax they are on your, like, monsterness. Right. 
And Jindrax, definitely, you know, monster. Uh, they able to kind of grow past, like, grow past, like, I guess, tradition, again, what I said, reject tradition. Right. And we're able to grow beyond what kind of the bad guy shit. Right. And uh, more so than, like, Master Org, who did originally was human. Yeah, and, like, but, like, he definitely lost his own humanity along the way for many reasons. And I don't know if we could say that Jindrax and Toxica found humanity, but, like, they kind of found their own way and decided, hey, you know what? We're going to continue on our own. Yeah, and it shows, I think, uh, in the epilogue, they just kind of continue on their own and vibe and chill. Yeah. So they're, in this season, kind of the closest we've got to another bulk and skull. Uh, but, you know, compresses their character arc from being total assholes to actually, like, kind of lovable. Or, you know, at least, you know, you know how I feel about Bulk and Skull. Um, yeah. But, you know, they kind of go, like, they kind of have that Bulk and Skull character arc, but it gets compressed down into one season. Yeah. And uh, I will say it's kind of like one of the better iterations of kind of a Bulk and Skull type, because... Uh, and you'll see this in later seasons. I really think only one other season does a Bulk and Skull well. Mm-hmm. Whereas any other season when they try to bring that dynamic back, and it's just like, wow, this is awful. Because they focus, of course, like on season one Bulk and Skull or something. Right, and don't think about like, you know, season two, three, you know, Zeo, Turbo, then I guess In Space and Lost Galaxy. Yeah, In Space, yeah. Kind of that that big arch. They just kind of go with like, ha ha, the silly bullies or something. Yeah, it's like, yeah, like the reason like I like Bulk and Skull is not for how they were in season one, but how they grew past it. Yeah, and I think most fans actually agree with that at this point. It's like Bulk and Skull, uh, more or less, they're being being the icons that they are. Kind of more came up from like the later season stuff you saw with them uh, becoming the Greek chorus, as opposed to like those really creepy bullies at the beginning. Um, which I might go to in, a, in another, like, episode when we talk about the, the overview, so. Yeah. Um, alright, and then we talked a little bit about him, so, uh, let's talk about Master Org. Oh, D- Dr. Victor Adler. A.K.A. Um, Brony Frenzoni. <laughs> that was, oh my god, it's just like, he talks when he finally, when Cole finally finds out what happens to his parents through Dr. Adler. It's like he tells this very unreliable narrator story that I kind of love juxtaposition with what's going on, actually, because mm-hmm. he, he just kind of makes it off that, like, your father took everything away from me, including the woman I love, and then it's just like, you actually watch when Dr. Adler was going to go propose, propose to Cole's mom, uh-huh. and, like, one, she calls him, like, when he's like, oh, hi, and she, she calls him flat out Dr. Adler. Like, you're not on a first name basis with this woman. Yeah, and it's just like, okay, it shows that they were very close, like, at work. But, like, you know, I've had people that, like, I'm good friends with at work that don't know shit about my personal life. And I prefer to keep yeah. it that way. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what what's, it felt like. What was I'm looking up her name because Cole actually, yeah, Elizabeth. I was like, it's Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he he was like, oh, Elizabeth, I have something to tell you. And she was like, oh, Dr. Adler. And I'm like, oh, oof, this Ooh. is this is not going great. Yeah. And she immediately shows that Richard proposed to her. Yeah. So, yeah. And he's just like, oh, Richard took everything away from me. He took away, like, you know, my, the love of my life and, like, my ability to have a family. 
And it's like, I she Elizabeth did not think about you like that, bro. <laughs> Elizabeth called you Dr. Adler <laughs> and didn't tell you about the relationship with Richard. Or you, my thing is like, either he knew about Richard and just thought he was like, oh, he's going to dump her, dump him, obviously for me or something. Or like, she just didn't tell him. She just thought he was a coworker. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's just like, it was, yeah, it's just so awkward. And then like, and so basically they go and try to find the animarium because that's what they were studying. And like, I, I, (laughs) go ahead. I was going to point out the press conference is another interesting because he's like, oh, he took the the credit for the animarium. And it showed when he went to talk about it, he froze the fuck up at the press conference that Richard had to step in to talk. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, it was just like, yeah, it was just such a like, he's shown as an unreliable narrator in his own fucking story. And, like, so, yeah, so they go and try to find the animarium and they find, like, the bits of, like, the original Master Org. And, like, Dr. Adler decides at that moment, he's like, you know what, fuck this, I'm gonna eat these seeds and become Master Org. And, like, destroy them for everything they've done to me. Which, like, this is the, that was the awkward bit of, like, why did you take your baby on this? (laughs) Yeah, I was just like, cool. (laughs) You just took your baby. I mean, it's like you didn't leave the baby with like a sitter or anything. Like a ba- like I've known uh, researchers and stuff that do take their children, mm-hmm. but normally they're they're a little bit more able to defend themselves more than a baby. Yeah, exactly. Like this is this is a small child. If something happens out in the like, if something happens to him or somebody else out in the woods, who's going to take care of him? I mean, obviously we know the answer is random tribe in the jungle is going to raise him after finding him. But like, yeah, you can't guarantee and, that. Uh, yeah, it's the Amazon. The Amazon, like, some people in the Amazon took him in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, what a brony friend zony little bitch. Yeah, and oh my god. I It might just be because his actor is from Eastern Europe, but his accent throughout this entire thing just sounded like Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> Which just an added level to it. This is, like, let, let me see when The Room came out. Which, by the way, random fact, they made... They purposely made Cole a Leo. Oh my god. I just found this out looking up, like, uh, Elizabeth's name, is that Cole is an actual Leo. Okay. Uh, so 2003, this was, like, a year before The Room. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize The Room was, like, that young, that old, but, yeah. So, he had a, he had a weird Tommy was so accent, it just kind of, just did not help the whole Bernie Frenzoni thing, given The Room. Right. Like, I'm fed up with this world. I'm <laughs> fed up with this world. I'm going to become Master Org. <laughs> That's a funny story. What's a funny story, like, Richard? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, like, that's what's going on in his head. It's just the room. <laughs> but, yeah, um, besides Cole's terrible wig from the beginning of the season, Master Org by far has the worst wig. It's so bad. Like, oh, my God. I have... I have seen Shake and Go wigs that I got from, like, the Halloween, like, like, I know Shake and Go is its own brand, but basically, you know, those bagged wigs you get at the Halloween store <laughs> that you get out of there and it just forms weirdly. I've seen wigs I've gotten like that that look better than his wig. Yeah. I'm kind of, maybe, maybe a bit of meta here, uh, given that he was trying to pretend to be an org. Maybe that's why his wig was so bad. Right. But I'm like, where did you manage to find a wig? 
like that. <laughs> Assuming that he's just been hiding in the Amazon this entire time. Yeah, it's like um, a feral drag queen. I don't know. Sure. But yeah, just just like Brony Finzoni with a bad wig. That's basically Victor Adler, a.k.a. Master Org. And yet Cole is still a really nice guy about everything. Like, like he's he's like, I forgive you. I'm going to put flowers on your grave at the very end of the series. It's like, you don't have to do that. You know, you you are a real nice. If anything, uh, the Master Org kind of arc dealt with with Cole is like, wow, Cole, you are an extraordinarily nice person. Yeah. Like, I, you slight me like very hard once. I will cut you out of my life and then bitch about you. Yeah. And like, like, that's how I am as a person. Yeah. But like, Cole's like, I'll put flowers on your grave. Even though you killed my parents. Even though you killed my parents. I'm like, wow, you're not pissing on it? Wow. Yeah, and it's like, you could have just left it alone. But I guess, I, you know, Cole's got this whole arc of, like, being the, you know, quote, quote, bigger person and forgiveness. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, motherfucker did still kill your parents. But, you know, that's that's your own personal decision. I think... My thing with like, kind of those those arcs and children shows is some people are actually genuinely like that. And I'm like, okay, good for you. But it's like, that's not the only answer that should be done. And like, you kind of see it permeate through culture a little bit of just like, take the recent election of like, oh, we should give the olive branch to the Trumpers. And I'm like, no, we shouldn't. No, like a lot of them. Like, sure, there are people that like, you know, would vote for Trump just because he was a Republican. But, like, there's still a lot of them that are Nazis. <laughs> I'm not, like, I'm not breaking bread with a Nazi. Yeah, it's like, they really, it, it just kind of gives the olive branch out. Yeah. Automatically to them. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, except they did really heinous shit. They need to go, like, I'm, I'm not one to say they can't change as people, but they have to go through that journey to change. Right. And Master Orc, in this case, did not go through- He was still unrepentant till his death of what he did to Cole's parents. Yeah. And Cole was just like, I'm putting flowers on your grave, and I think I will mourn you. And I'm like, wow, Cole, that is super nice of you to do. Yeah. You do not have to do that, but okay. Yeah. I guess a little rant on there about just kind of- Because it's like, it's not just Cole that does that in a lot of children's media. It's a lot of children's media. Just it's like- Oh, forgiveness, which is, again, why I'm like, wow, Merrick's whole arc was way different yeah. and more satisfying. Yeah. Um, And yeah, we kind of want to give an honorable mention to, like I said, there are a lot of Duke orgs that show up, but, you know, we don't really cover that in deep because otherwise this would be a five hour podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, But our, we kind of wanted our honorable mentions for or kind of our villains this season. Um, uh, you know, obviously we have Mandalock who kind of filled in for Master Org for a few episodes there. Um, one of the voices for Mandalock was Barbara Goodson, and we do love Barbara Goodson on this podcast. Yes. Uh, and... the other one was Nazor, just kind of was weirdly queer, queer coded. Yeah. Like, yeah, Nazor was like, yeah, just sort of had this whole, had a very gay vibe going off on him. <laughs> Even a clacky fan. Yes. Which you know I love. Um, but yeah, kind of just moving on to our odds and ends. Uh, as we mentioned kind of several times in this episode, this series was definitely more plot-driven than character-driven. Yeah. Which is not necessarily like, a bad thing. 
No, it isn't. And, and the characters don't feel like set dressings. Yeah, I mean, obviously some characters got more focus than others. Because, like, you know, Cole is still very much a big plot driver uh, for his arc. And then, obviously, as we said, there wasn't a whole lot going on with, like, Danny and Max. But, like, you know, I feel like everybody was kind of still a part of it. Yeah, it... Again, going back to my, like, when when you literally kind of have, like, the Red Ranger be the crux of the season, um, because a similar thing happened with Time Force, except we kind of saw, like, parts of the ensemble crumbled a little bit when, like, with Katie and Tripp and Lucas. Mm -hmm. Well, who gives a shit about Lucas? Right. But, um, uh, and, like, it didn't have, it didn't happen here as much. It just felt like every, as much as it was just kind of, like, not really paper thin, but not really explored characters happened in this season. It felt like everyone got to be a, a part of the ensemble and storytelling. Right. As opposed to, like, oh, we have to sacrifice some character development for some characters. Or in later seasons, it's just like, the Red Ranger is the main character. Fuck everybody else. Yeah. Um... But yeah, so, but yeah, I did like the fact that it was very plot-driven, even if sometimes the tonal shifts would be absolutely insane, um, because it did feel like, you know, they learned something from the past couple of seasons, especially with, um, with Time Force, that, hey, you can do this, and people would still be interested in it. Yeah. And not just focusing um, on the monster of the week, or the lesson of the week. Yeah, it definitely, um... What lacks in kind of the the character writing, it makes up definitely for, like, making an engaging and wonderful world-built story. Mm -hmm. Like, I know a lot, like, you could really go into, like, different branches with the Animarium if they decided to do so in comics. Or if, you know, you want to do that for your own fanfiction purposes and transformative works, you have a lot to work with with Wild Force because it was so plot-driven. Yeah. Um, so... You kind of wanted to go into a specific thing about this season, particularly on the production side. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of, and there still is a debate. There's more of a debate now that it's been uh, about two decades since the show has aired is whether or not this counts as a Disney or Saban season. And like, for me, it's like technically. The production was, yes, under Disney. Like, Disney bought the franchise and Fox Family itself. And that is a whole nother episode to get into because that is, like, some wild rich people playing poker shit that happened with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, The selling of Fox Family happened uh, under, like, towards the end of Time Force and right at the beginning of pre-production to almost, like, we just know we're doing something from Gal Ranger. Right. And, but... Because Disney's deal with it was literally having Saban be a liaison for the next year's season. It's basic and help with the transition of the show. It's basically still got a feeling of it was definitely produced during kind of that decade of Power Rangers where it was under Saban. Right. Like you had uh, Tycor as the producer at the end, all sorts of like the same writing staff and, and everything. It really wasn't. I feel until Ninja's Storm, uh, even though they they brought on two producers that did write under uh, Power Rangers uh, before to kind of help still transition, they weren't executive producers, I think, before on the show either. Okay. So, yeah. So it just felt like, you know, last of that era. And there's actually a reason why I think the last episode, I think it is, uh, I'm I'm probably going to have to go, but allegedly... 
the reason why it was called the end of the Power Rangers was because, like, they felt like they didn't know where the show was going to go after Disney bought the Fox Family Block. Okay, that definitely makes sense. I mean, if you don't know what's going to happen after that, you might as well just expect that you're writing a, a series finale. Yeah. So that that's kind of, again, where also the feeling that this was the f- second time the series was in danger of getting canceled mm-hmm. is because Disney picked up the Fox Family Channel and was like, uh, we'll let you have one more season, but we're not sure if we're going to continue this. Right. Because they just um, weren't interested in having Power Rangers. Yeah, they, they were more, in- like... Felt like I like they kind of were in the sense that they wanted kind of more of a like boys thing because this was around the time like Disney princesses were really starting to get big, mm-hmm. so they wanted kind of something for boys. So they just more or less got anything that they could handle to, to aim for boys, okay. like Power Rangers, Digimon, all that stuff. Okay, um, but that's because that was Eisner. That that gets into some weird fucker. Yeah, I'm like but that's yeah. We'll, we'll we're gonna talk about. So one of our upcoming episodes is what we're doing an overview of the Saban era. We're going to talk about this more in depth, but we're kind of surprised there is not a defunct land episode about the bullshit of what happened when Saban sold Fox Kids to Disney. Yeah, because it's just, it is such an Eisner thing. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, it's it's be, and like you know the main thing that goes into here is Saban. Part of the deal was literally being the liaison mm-hmm. and being brought into the last season of Power Rangers. Right. Until they were like, oh, we'll just move to New Zealand. And because uh, they're, they, they want to, they, you know, LA, I think at that point was basically you are union or else. Right. And so they moved to New Zealand because it was cheaper production costs and everything. And that was mostly Disney and kept forward. So that's, that's kind of, in my opinion, why it is a Saban season. It's like, because... While the brand wasn't there, the people behind the scenes were. Uh, and then the other thing uh, that really kind of came to be uh, with when this season came out was it was widely hated by fandom. Like, I remember, like, going on Ranger Board back in the day and just everyone hating the shit out of the season. I mean, it's, I, having encountered some Power Rangers fans, I'm not surprised. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, it, it's basically, like, I feel like because it came after Time Force, uh, which, to me, when I was getting into it, it felt like this was ages ago instead of two seasons prior to the season I got into. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't actually that long ago, but it was just, like, there was so much hatred for the show with how, like, it felt like there was a lot of kid gloves with it, the acting was terrible, the story was stupid, it basically was this whole thing of just, like, hating the show for existing, and I felt like it was probably a mix of it happened right after Time Force, mm-hmm. which is a very, like, even at that time, very beloved season. Okay. And then you mix it with the ebb and flow of how I noticed Power Ranger fans act, which is they love a season at the very beginning. Very rarely do they hate a season at the very beginning, but they will love it, cheer for it, and then all of a sudden towards the End of that season. It's this is the worst season ever. I fucking hate the season. The season could go die in a fire. Okay. And it's it's like guys, it's just the ebb and flow of how a TV series works. You know, and you know when their expectations don't meet their real meet the reality, they automatically are just like, this sucks. This is the worst thing ever. It's like no, Turbo was the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah, and 
kind of go into what I felt like with people, I think, comparing Dino Charge to Super Dino Charge when it first came out, mm-hmm. is the same thing. I was like, Super Dino Super Charge is not as good as Dino Charge. I will give you that. It's not as good. Mm-hmm. And the ending is actually very terrible, but you guys acted like it killed your mother in front of you. Yeah. No, like, that ending was garbage, but, like, you know. I it wasn't s- Turbo. Yeah, and, like, or the first season of Power Rangers. <laughs> Mm. yeah (laughs) and and even then that's somebody's favorite or something but yeah just this weird ebb and flow of i feel like because the series does not meet up to like basically some of your fan theories or something it just suddenly worst thing ever or it's just because of how fandom is particularly cis male driven fandoms Mm -hmm. is kind of comic book guy worst power rangers season ever yeah because of like one little thing is off, and therefore we must nerd rage about it. And I'm like, you guys need to kind of come down on that. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I'm just suddenly remembering, like, first season of The Mandalorian, where, like, all those nerds are just like, hey, there's no women in this show, so therefore it's superior Star Wars. And then once Cara Dune was introduced, they're like, man, the feminists are taking over. It's, this is the worst. It's like, Shut up. Please just A woman up. appeared. Yeah. And you, you were you were like Leela showing up in that, that sexy chat and being like, I'm a woman if that's what you're asking. And you're like, oh no, a woman. I'm scared. But kind of uh in recent years it's changed right. a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh most people are neutral to actually recognize that it is a pretty decent season. Mm-hmm. And it actually took me a while to really confront this about how much I liked Wild Force. Because at first I was like, oh yeah, this is kind of terrible. Let me just rewatch it again because I am depressed and it makes me feel happy. Right. And it just kind of grew and grew. And I'm like, it was, oh God, somebody's going to drag up my old YouTube videos and I hate you if you do. Um, But I I did like a YouTube video on one. So basically like, well, you know, Wild Force stinks, but this is actually why I think this is some good shit that was in it. And it was like a three-part video of Wild Force. (laughs) And, you know, me, being a stubborn bastard, was like, I totally still don't like this series. It wasn't until very recently, like, I love the shit out of Wild Force. This is actually good shit. Right. Is it the best shit? No, but it's good shit. Right. And the reason why I think it's changing, uh, and I noticed this with George, uh, shout out to George, who talked about it, um, he um, talked about how he was, like, eight years old and watching Wild Force. Mm-hmm. He's, like, 27 now. Right. So a lot of the kids that were of age when Wild, like, for Power Rangers, like, like five to, like, eight, five to ten, mm-hmm. that are now, they're now adults, and some of them are firmly into adulthood now. Right. So this was their first Power Rangers or second Power Rangers that they got into. Right. And I think that's changing kind of the flavor and the landscape is because, you know, and I saw this also with Ninja Storm and other things, seasons that a lot of people hated when they first came out, a lot of people now are like, oh, yeah, I love the shit out of that. That was like my first season I watched. Right. And it, it's like kind of mind blowing of how Power Rangers is, you know, everyone kind of goes with nostalgia fans being uh, Mighty Morphin. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Mighty Morphin's not my favorite time period, but whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's some people. But it's like, it's definitely 90s babies that are like that with it. As opposed to 
kids who grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s that are like, oh, yeah, these were my favorite seasons. Oh, yeah, this is this is something that's actually occurring in um in Star Wars fandom a lot recently is that you you're starting to see a lot of softening on the prequels. And that's someone the- predicted that actually they predicted uh, they basically said like there's a Star Wars for every generation. I think that was Dave Filoni, but I don't count me on that. Um, OK, but he, he I think he talked about it a little bit, too, is that you have this younger generation who are like, oh, I grew up watching the prequels or I grew up watching Clone Wars on Cartoon Network. So this is my Star Wars and this is like Star Wars that I actually really enjoy. You know, versus like the original, um, you know, the original trilogy or the original extended universe novels where George Lucas would just put a stamp of approval on anything. <laughs> um, this is why they were varying in quality. Yeah. And it's like, I, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's something that just like that, not to say that this is like, I think this is something that we start seeing a lot in different fandoms that are very long and ongoing. Is that at some point you do see sort of this changing of the guard a little bit where like the younger generation that may have gotten into it a little bit later comes up and says, no, I actually really enjoy this and I find merit in it, even if it's not the best thing ever. I'm seeing that also in Star Trek fandom because who's taking over Star Trek fandom is not the people who grew up with their Star Trek being TOS and TNG, mm-hmm. it's people who came of age with Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Mm-hmm. Like, the gap between people's opinions, especially with Voyager, the gap between those two opinions are just like, holy shit, you know? Like, people, especially Vo- Voyager is kind of one of those, it's kind of not the best. Right. But it meant so much to people that they can find merit in it. Right. And, yeah, so I think that's, like, you have, like, when you have these fandoms, like, Star Wars, Star Trek, Power Rangers, that when you've had so much happening in it over a long, extended period of time, that I think at some point there is the people who grew up watching, you know, this, you know, this particular era decide, no, wait, this is actually pretty good. Yeah. I get what, like, Star Trek, the thing that strikes me so I'm always in the periphery of Star Trek because I loved growing up with it and everything, but it's not, like, a thing I'm totally 100% into. It's just kind of one of my, like, casual flings, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, uh, like, growing up and even in my own 20s, everyone's like, TNG's the best season. And now it's really shifting over to DS9 was the best series. And I remember, like, when DS9 first came out, everyone was like, this is too dark to be fucking Star Trek. Yeah, I <laughs> Like, it, it was hated, and it's kind of that same effect that we're, again, like, we're seeing. And, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of the overall, uh, with some of these long-term franchises, like, how how it's going to be. Yeah, especially with Power Rangers, as we move kind of into our next era of not just, you know, Hasbro, like, with, you know, Beast Morphers, which, you know, is nearly done in the United States, even though I think they finished airing episodes overseas, like, a while ago. And Dino- it's very weird the deal they have with France. Yeah, and then Dino Fury, and then like you know whatever they're planning with Jonathan Entwistle and Brian Hill. So it's going to be very interesting to kind of see what will one how will fandom in general react to that, especially with the more younger crowd that might be getting into it. Um, or people that maybe were just into it for the 2017 movie. I've encountered some people like that. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm interested to kind of see where that goes next and kind of how we deal with how it's reacted to at the beginning versus how people see it in, you know, five to ten years. Yeah. Or more. <laughs> yeah, because it's like from Wild Force on, uh definitely this decade of Power Rangers got softened. Right. I've noticed compared to when it first was coming out and first was fresh. Right. Um anyway, uh that was a lot to talk about, so let's talk about something hilarious, which is just the ending of this series. Oh my god. Which is not hilarious as much as was gut-punching! Yeah, so, um, <laughs> the ending of the series, like, first of all, it was kind of one of the most dire stakes of what the Rangers were going through in terms of, like, fighting against the final villain. Not to say that there hasn't been episodes like that. Like, remember the ending of Turbo? Oh yeah, Turbo... Uh, the ending of In Space, See, and um, I th- season, yeah, season three of Mighty Morphin. I want to say Lost Galaxy as well. Well, a lot of them kind of have Dire Straits, but it's kind of like the scale of Dire Straits, like Lost Galaxy, and I think Time Force fall under like the Dire Straits are within that area. Yeah, and so, but like, and it just kind of ripples from there. But yeah, it's like this was like the world was fucking ending. Yeah, it was. I was just like. World's ending, God's dead, and the, all the Zords that were destroyed. And so the Rangers can no longer access their powers. Yeah, and the Animarium crashes to Earth. Yeah, so it is bad, it is bad times for everybody. Um, but, you know, with the power of, like, perseverance and heart. And Cole taking off his shirt. And Cole taking off his shirt, because we gotta have it at least once a season with the Red Ranger. Um, it, yeah, so sort of through this this power of like heart and perseverance like they are able to summon all of the wild zords even ones we had never seen before just random ones that were like wow you didn't come up at all yeah which is goes back to why like you mentioned with there's a lot here that can be covered by comics because like wow where did half of these wild zords come from like, not even just half more than that yeah. Um, but yeah, so all of these Zords come out and, like, help the Rangers, and the Rangers get their powers back and save the day and defeat Master Org and all that fun stuff. And then, like, we get to the ending before, you know, Alyssa gives the wrap-up, where, like, Shayla is just like, okay, I'm gonna need to take everything back now, because I need to go back to the Animarium and, like, raise it back to the sky, and basically, you guys are just kind of on your own, unless I need you again. But the worst part of it is, well, no, there's a couple things that are terrible about it. One, she takes everybody's sweet jackets away. Yeah, it's like, you don't even get your fucking jacket to show that you did, that you were a Wild Force Ranger. What gets me is, like, you see the style of clothing, the old, like, the warriors from 3,000 years ago, they did not have those sweet jackets. They have, like, some weird thing you would see at, like, if someone was trying to combine, like, a junior classical league uh, convention, which, by the way, if you don't know, that is, like, it, that National Latin Club in America. <laughs> Nerd. Yeah, it, it is very dirty. So you're trying to take the toga thing and then combine it with, like, some sort of Ren fair. Yeah, it is not is not good looking. But yeah, they have these sweet jackets. Like these are out of all of the past seasons because the last three seasons have had like sweet jackets that the team was wearing, and these are the sweetest of them all. And they don't get to keep those jackets. Nope. 
And like, come, it's like, come on, even like Lightspeed Rescue got to keep their jackets. They did a jacket trade with Time Force. Um, and yeah, so they don't even get to keep their jackets, which sucks. It's like, okay, you take away the Morphers, you take away the Zords. I get that. But the jackets? Like, you could you could have had that as a memento or something. Yeah. No, but the worst part, the worst part, <laughs> I fucking hate this part, is, so after this entire season where Merrick and Shayla are having kind of this awkward thing of, like, they want, they clearly are still into each other, but Merrick is so self-hating about what happened in the Animarium all those years ago. And Shayla doesn't really know how to get through to him about it besides just sort of letting him be on his own, do his own thing. Is he goes to her and is just like, I will go back to the Animarium and protect you. Like he is willing to go back to the place that like has mentally harmed him to protect the person that he loves the most. And she says, no. She's like, fuck you, buddy. She's, yeah, she's basically like, you're human. I can't do that to you. And it's like, I'm like, what? Yeah, it gets me. Like, if there was more play into maybe Shayla's point of view of why she said no, I think that would be a better closing of that chapter. But instead, she just kind of was like, no, because you're human. Yeah, and I'm just like, what? And it's just like, and it's, like it's devastating. Because it's just like, he's gone through all of this and he's willing to finally say, I will stay with you for the rest of my life. And then, like, also, like, you've been building up this romance between them this entire time. Yeah. And they're just like, nope, nobody gets a happy ending. And I'm like, I- Nobody- I fuck get you. why nobody got a happy ending in Time Force. I get why. This makes no sense. <laughs> this makes- like, again, I, I think that might be to explore uh, later, I think, would be to explore why Shayla said no. Yeah. As opposed to, like, it really seemed really like a bad writing decision that she said no. Yeah, I just, oh, God. Uh, another thing I'd like to point out about the finale was how it began, uh, I guess, uh, before we get into the next point, is it began kind of like them, because they defeated the last org or something, and they party, and then, um... Uh, Danny, de not Danny, uh, Max declares it is the end of the Power Rangers all triumphantly, and then they just kind of go through all existential crisis crises over what they would do after being a Power Ranger. Yeah, it's like the, it's the, it's the now what moment from Finding Nemo. <laughs> yeah. But, ex and more existential. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's a good bit of existentialism. But yeah, let's go, the, the romance, it's like, Time Force and Wild Force, I think, are should just be known for basically punching you in the gut when it came to romance. Yeah, but like I said, with Time Force, it kind of makes sense because you have this time travel bullshit of like we can't, oh, yeah. like we have to be careful about how we change the future. Yeah, okay, we we got to be careful about that. I'm from your past, mm -hmm. and you're from my future. Like we cannot be together. Whereas, like, Wild Force, yeah, Wild Force had two incidents of it. One, one with Danny and Kendall, where Kendall is basically, oh, well, you know, you have your duty as a ranger. Doesn't even open the invitation of when you're done to come back. It's yeah. just kind of like, oh, that's sad. And then you kind of have the Master Org thing, which is just more like, he's a brony Frenzoni. Yeah. But that's kind of sad, I guess. More on the Richard and Elizabeth dying bit. Yeah. You know, they, they got married and had a kid and just just killed by this brony Frenzoni. That's that's actually very sad. Right. And then you just have that ending with Shayla and Merrick. Again, it's like they were building them up. 
had a couple episodes involving them, including, like, uh, Sing a Song, I think was the name of the episode, with the Deer Zord. Yeah. And, like, showing kind of improvement on their relations of where they left off, and it's just Shayla just goes, no. And there's no explanation of why or point of view why Shayla goes no. So just kind of like, wow, that was a fucking gut punch for no reason. Yeah, I mean, besides, like, because, again, the only thing she says is, oh, you're human, I can't do that to you. It's like, I mean, he might be kind of mutated at this point. He was fused with Zanaku for 3,000 years. (laughs) Oh, so he's from 3,000 fucking years ago. Yeah, what do you expect him to do? Get a cell phone? I'm just imagining Marigold itself and be like, what the fuck is this? It's like, is this a morpher? You would probably think it's a morpher or like any sort of other technology that happened. Like, he would, you know, I, I, I don't think Merrick would not understand it. Like, he has shown, and we'll, we'll talk about Willie's in a bit. He has shown to kind of understand things, but it's like, that is 3,000 years ago. Technology at that point had actually changed within like 10 years rapidly Mm -hmm. and you're expecting a person from like three thousand fucking years ago which is what the 1800s or some shit i don't know let me actually find out what what 2002 jules Jules. the 1800s were 300 years ago oh okay (laughs) we are great with math 998 whatever ad so you know after the you know after the supposed time of jesus like catholics were like already no, wait, I don't think the Catholics were there yet. Maybe, like, the time- Rome, Rome. I gotta, like, actually establish a timeline in my head here. I, I think, like, probably the beginnings of Rome. Uh, let me see here. Roman- I'm gonna let's just look up Holy Roman Empire. Also, would like to note, yes, in this podcast, we are great with math. Maths. Yeah. Of all times. Yeah. 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 Uh, let me see here. Whatever. I'm not gonna get into it. But the point is- is that actual human history was happening, early human history was happening at the time that Merrick, like, got fused with Zanaku. And I think it was even before the, and it was way before, like, the Enlightenment era and all this other shit. Like, I think maybe at most, like, the Iron Age or Bronze Age or some shit? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, his- but, you know, it's basically like, he wasn't around during big technological advances in, like, at least European societies, some places were already getting there before that. Mm-hmm. But, like, you're expecting him to live in 2002, where at that point, like, if you were born in 1990, going on the internet was a big fucking deal. Right. So, yeah, great job there, Shayla. <laughs> he's gonna put this time displaced man there. Like, cell phones were beginning to creep up, and he's gonna be like, what the fuck is this sorcery? Yeah. He would think a basic telephone is sorcery. It's like, oh, why did- Yeah, I'm just like, oh, the more I think too deeply about it, the more, like, it hurts. (laughs) Uh, Also, I would really love to see Mirror trying to figure out technology. (laughs) I'm just imagining it like that one, like, image of Shawn Michaels from, like, the 90s. Trying to type on a computer. <laughs> Back when AOL was a thing. Oh my god. Like AOL, oh, keyword, WWF. Oh. Anyway, uh, um, before we get too deep down that rabbit hole. Let's talk about our two crossovers. Uh, Time Force and Forever Red. Let's go with Time Force first and then we'll touch Forever 
friend. Yeah, so the Time Force crossover is probably one of the better crossovers during this particular era. Um, I do agree with that. Yeah, because I think it actually does continue on the plot that we've seen from, that we saw from Time Force. Um, as in, like, Rancic is still kind of continuing the plot, and it actually explains a plot detail that wasn't really explained in, um, in Time Force, about, like, his, his bone swords. Yeah, it just kind of explained that he had, like, this weird mutation that would, like, deal with, um, Frax's, like, concoction. Mm-hmm. But it didn't explain the bone swords. This actually does explain why he has bone swords. And it involved him giving mutant powers to some orgs. Um, like you do when you're angry with humanity. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. But yeah, so he, so basically it kind of goes into that plot where like it is, you know, he's dealing, like basically it's something Rancic did. He wants to atone for it. And you kind of do see where some of the rangers have, like some of the characters from Time Force have kind of moved on since then. Like Nadira is like teaching at a preschool. Um, I believe Lucas, Katie, and Trip are still with Time Force. Um, and Jen's, Jen's on Time Force and does special assignments at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, God, I'm gay. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then like uh, Eric and Wes are still doing um, Silver Hills, which just kind of looks like that they just took over what law enforcement was over there because you see him at the beginning uh, giving a ticket to Taylor. Yeah. So I'm like, is Turtle Cove like near Silver Hills that she was like driving through enough to get a ticket? Yeah, that was my thing. I'm like, how close is Silver Hills to Tur- Turtle Cur- Cove? And, like, how close is any of this to Angel Grove? Or, um, Mariner Bay? Or... This is my Pepe Sylvia thing, by the way. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. This is this isn't absolutely, like, this could drive any person insane. <laughs> it's just like, where are these places? Yeah. Um, They're just all generally somewhere on, like, this, like in SoCal. But it's like, these are all major cities. How can you yeah, have that many it, major cities that close to each other? I, I honestly what I get the vibes I get from Turtle Cove and um Silver Hills is definitely Bay Area, Silicon Valley area that makes of sense. California. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's just kinda like cool. Uh, <laughs> All right, and then where, like, where are we? Yeah, so we're still talking about time force. Um one of the things uh, also I think it brings up the whole uh, again, kind of one of the big themes of this show is forgiveness, is here's Here's actually an example of someone from the previous season who ran amok who actually is going through forgiveness. Right. Like when when he's even brought to consult in the 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 past or our present, um like there's kind of this tension between him and Jen that like Jen's not 100% sure of trusting him and st- he still has to earn her trust. Yeah. And it's actually- even with Cole's empathy stamp of approval. Yeah. Which, you know, makes sense. I mean, because even, like, even though Jen was there when he was just like, like, oh, God, I actually, like, this is what I've become. That, you know, that she still would just be like, I don't trust you. Which, yeah. Yeah. Totally believable. Um, It also kind of, like, picks back up on the Jen and Wes romance. Yeah. Uh, because, basically, um, Wes finds out, because they're, like, they run into, uh, essentially, these mute orcs. Mm-hmm. And they don't know what they're called yet, and so they call, uh, Eric and Wes call, uh, Time Force back in the future, because they have the equipment, Mm -hmm. and they talk to Trip, and they find out that, oh, Jen's been sent on special assignment. Right. 
and we haven't heard from her, and it's just this whole build, and then you, when you see the big fight that shows up before Time Force eventually shows up, you see Jen saving everyone's butt, and this glorious outfit that made Ashley gay. I am so gay. Um, <laughs> uh, but it actually, um, it, it, you kind of pick off, like, where Jen and, and Wes were, mm-hmm. uh, with that, and kind of, more or less gives kind of a little closure a little bit with the ending with them seemingly being happy at the picnic. Yeah, so, and we're gonna get into that next month. I still have, yeah. I know Jules has read Sense of the Future, I have not, so. I am a glass case of emotion. Fuck. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, they sort of get the happy ending a little bit, and also, like, Taylor and Eric are kind of flirting with each other. Again, somebody got pegged, it was definitely Eric. It was, it was, it's very funny, like, watching that, and, like, a couple things I get from that is, one, those two actually had, like, had, like, chemistry that people want their main heterosexual leads to have. Right. Two, they definitely fucked, especially during that gun handle scene. I think that gun handle scene is one of the closest things Power Rangers, like, hints to sexuality. Right. Beyond kind of the chase falling in love. Right. Is like, oh, you don't know how to handle my gun. I, I, excuse me. Yes, I do. Yeah. I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. This is this is some spicy writing for Power Rangers. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, she definitely pegged him. But I really like how these days, and I've talked about it, is um, people are more kind of accepting of bisexual and pansexual identities than they were back when I was a kid. Right. Or back when I was a teenager, because it was just like, no, Eric's 100% sh- like gay. This is wrong. And it's like, no, they're just bi- bis or pans. Yeah. Whatever they feel like. They're vibing. They're vibing. And Eric was definitely 100% pegged. Yeah. Um, um, I felt a little slighted actually about Rancix. Right. I guess. Oh, God. <laughs> He basically, like, to to go full forgiveness, he was cured of his mutinism. Like, that does not, that's not how that works. <laughs> it's one of those moments where you're just like, wow, someone, like, everyone on your staff's very white and didn't realize, like, how bad that comes off. Yeah, um, and, like, uh, it was just like, okay, so this is a decision that you have decided to make. Um, I will say, though, at least to him wearing the most dad shirt at the ending picnic. <laughs> like, he's, he's dressed in one of those, like, absolute dad shirts from, like, the mid-2000, like, not the early to mid-2000s. Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely that. I think my last thing I want to talk about, um, is, um, yeah, it's just, like, this constantly is brought up by people, is just kind of, like, Particularly in kind of the, like, queer verse and all that, or queerdom sphere, whatever you want to call our queer community. Right. Uh, It's just kind of like, you'll do a metaphor and then you'll fuck it up. Right. And it's like, wow, definitely just cis hat white men wrote this bit because it's like, you basically made it to where he was cured of what made him angry and everything was just like, oh, was actually a part of him. I'm like, uh, that's... It's like, that's uh, like, like, cause, especially because it also kind of goes against whatever little rules they established about mutants. Yeah, it's like, mutants kind of came about because of the, um... I'm trying to find the word, but basically, like, 
the garbage DNA stuff that came from uh, making designer babies. Yeah, so, like, I'm like, I don't think, like, magic can cure genetics like that, or whatever it was supposed to be. That's, ugh. Good job, guys. By good, good job, job, I mean, no, not a good job at all. <laughs> that was real terrible. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, going forward is now we're gonna, you know, talk about and also, yeah, it, they gave one of the things I'll also touch up on is that it felt like that this two-parter, as opposed to two-parters in the past, mm-hmm. uh, actually felt like a continuing story. It felt like it worked, whereas like other two-parters in the past really didn't. Yeah, and like because especially because sometimes when they've done crossovers as two-parters, like they just felt kind of inconsistent. Like when they did the Lost Galaxy um, time, not time force. Lost Galaxy Lightspeed Rescue crossover, where half the team showed up in the first part, and then the second half of the team just sort of randomly appeared in the second part. Which yeah, I like, get production wise, it was a timing issue, but like it just what just did not feel consistent. Yeah, it was a weird, and it also really kind of more focused heavily on like Lightspeed Rescue instead of like where the Lost Galaxy Rangers were. Yeah. Um. I think for the one episode uh, that happened with the Lightspeed Rescue uh, Time Force really got more of the formula right of trying, hey, let's see what happened to these characters in the previous season. Because that's kind of the big thing Mm -hmm. is bringing these people back. You want to feel joy and excited. You want to see where they've gone. And Time Force really does, the Time Force Wild Force one really does that. Like, And in a two-parter setting. It, It really does feel like both you get the extenuated, like, the extension of what happened in Time Force along with how would they mesh with the Wild Force Rangers. Yeah, and, like, I think, yeah, I think that's kind of an extension of them doing more overarching plots this season versus just focusing on characters and, like, one-off episodes. Um, because I think that was definitely something that Power Rangers for a really long time fell under that trap of, like, well, we're in syndication, so we can't really do an overarching plot, uh, because people may not see the full episode. Um, Whereas I think, you know, I think maybe once they started getting more on Fox Kids or Fox Family, they think they decide they realized that they could probably do a little bit more of a streamlined plot process. Yeah. Um, where, you know, so where people aren't necessarily like, you know, they're not catching it on like whatever local affiliate like manages to get like Fox Kids. Um, yeah. So you want to go ahead and talk about Forever Red? Okay, Forever Red is... It is... Try not to use this term, really, but it, because it's, uh, I'm trying to get better at kind of uh, addiction and stuff like that, of being mindful of that, because uh, a lot of people kind of call it crack. Um, I think it's definitely just one of the, it is, it's definitely like, you are 12, you have just discovered how to world build, and you're going to try it out with this fanfic. It definitely has that feeling. Yeah, it is... It is a very weird episode, and it makes and no sense to any sort of internal logic that has been presented so far in the series. Um, I feel bad we forgot to read what Kirk gave us about this this episode because it it really and it really kind of more or less they just wanted, but the gist of it I did read it. Mm-hmm. It really felt like they wanted to do a big kind of crossover, um, more so than anything, right? Um, so. The funniest thing for me about Forever Red was again back in the Range of War days, two thousand three, when Ninja St- when Ninja Storm was airing. Uh, like within a year of Forever Red, air- air- like Red airing, there was already 
a a note like a rule on Ranger Board being like, you do not discuss Forever Red. <laughs> we are not going into that. We have talked it to death. And the fun the funniest thing to me really was like either people uh went went to the board, didn't read the rules, and asked about Forever Red, like very like nicely. Mm-hmm. Or like some troll was like, I'm gonna talk about Forever Red. God. <laughs> yeah, it is it is literally like it is all the logic inconsistencies of that or just chrono like stuff in Power Rangers before they finally embraced in the year 2019 or 18 that this is a multiverse. <laughs> that no, we're gonna put a continuous timeline on everything. <sighs> uh, but yeah, this is like, it fucked with that. It fucked with a lot of things. Um, my theory on why Eric was chosen for the Forever Red stuff. Uh, I know in actuality it was because Steve Carderas uh, moved recently. And, um, w- uh, at the time of the filming of this episode, and they couldn't contact him. Okay. So that that is why Rocky isn't there. My reasoning is because, like, Rocky is so fucking useless. <laughs> We're just gonna go with Eric. And Eric was very upset because he had a planned vacation and everything. Right. It's like, you, you cannot get, you cannot get the soda deposit back on a cruise, you know? Right. So... <laughs> So he was just very, very angry that he had to, like, go, like, really, guys? I'm not even a Red Ranger. I'm a Sixth Ranger. My, I don't even have a color designation. Yeah, he's, he's the Quantum Ranger. He's the Quantum. No, but he, he's red. That's close enough. Though it's hilarious because, like, at this point, this is where they've already established, like, Red Rangers as the leaders of the team. But they still bring Oriko from, like, the Ninja Ranger season. And it's like, he wasn't the leader of the team! Delphine was! Yeah, that was very weird. <laughs> they just bought him. Which, shout out for that deep cut, honestly. I don't think people at the time when Force was airing was like, I remember Alien Rangers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just like, so like what, if they did like an episode that was just all the White Rangers, you would have to bring back Delphine and Alyssa. And it's just like, oh, could like, could uh, JDS Ego handle that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, that was that was the other funny thing about Forever Red for me was uh, just the fact that uh, JDF and Austin St. John, they have not buried their hatchet still to this day. And their hatred for each other was just so on the screen, but it seemed like just seemed sexual. Yes, because because like I was just like watching this and it's like because Jason doesn't show up until like midway through the episode and like. First of all, I don't even really remember what the plot of Forever Red was, just that... Okay. I know that it involves, like, the Machine Empire trying to rebuild on the moon, and then they specifically only need Red Rangers to go in and fight them, and then they fight them on the moon. (laughs) That's basically the plot, yes. Okay. That is all the plot was. Yeah. And also they use costumes for Big Bad Beetleborgs, apparently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just like, okay, so Jason shows up, because they don't think Jason will show up. After they've done all these, like, summoning the ranger scenes. Which one, one of them includes Bulk and Skull. And I was very happy to yes. see them. But also, how did Bulk get back from, uh... <laughs> from, uh, what was it? Uh, Edenoi? Edenoi. Yeah. Yeah, Edenoi. No, Miranoi. We don't have time to unpack all that. We don't have time to unpack all of that. No, I think it was Miranoi. Was it Miranoi or was it Edenoi? Because I feel... I, I think it was Miranoi. Sorry. Yeah, Edenoi is where 
Dax is from. <laughs> Shit, they didn't even call him Dax. This is just how stupid this all is. But yeah, so like, okay, they, so they do all the summoning of the rangers. I want to know how Bulk and Skull, like, that Bulk got back from Miranoi. Um, maybe, like, he caught a ride from Leo whenever Leo had to go and, like, you know, pull the sword and get the Red Ranger powers. Like, this sucks, he came back during He came back during Lightspeed Rescue and the rangers came back to Earth. Yeah, he's like, hey, this sucks, do you mind dropping me off in Angel Grove? Yeah, like, like. They're like sure, because I think they brought like the ship with them and everything. So yeah, they can they can take both with yeah. them. Yeah, that's my head cannon. He's uh, he just hitched a ride back during Lightspeed Rescue and uh, has just been back in Angel Grove since. Um, so yeah, it's just so weird. And like, but yeah, you get that scene with Jason you know, when they're doing like well, one you don't even really see Jason when they summon the Rangers back. He just sort of shows up, <laughs> and it's just kind of alluded to with like Tommy going, "Well, we contacted one." But I'm not sure if he's gonna make it, you know? Yeah, it's, it's like kind of like that this is behind him. And it's like, oh man, y'all y'all are just real mad about this. <laughs> I, I'm also like, oh, what about Rocky? <laughs> no one gives a shit about Rocky, apparently. <laughs> no one everyone forgot Rocky was even a Red Ranger. He, he, he just hears about it later. He's just like, hey guys, why didn't you call me? <laughs> I still have the fucking morpher. Wait, where, where'd it go? And Jason's like, hey, I took this from you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sorry God. about that. Yeah. Oh, man. That was just, wow. <laughs> and then, like, and poor TJ. Because, <laughs> like, cause at the very end, like, all the rangers are kind of, like, bitching at each other about why they're the best ranger and why Tommy is not the greatest ranger of all time. Which I'm like, I agree. I agree with that because I think Tommy's overrated, but that's me. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm gonna get so much hate mail just for saying that. <laughs> yeah, I have trained you well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the anti-Tommy brigade. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, poor TJ. All he can really say at the end there is, "Hey, did I tell you all about that time I got baked into a giant pizza?" And it's like, oh man. He got done so dirty in Turbo. He did. Um, but it's just so, so funny. And it, I love Carter's just kind of like, at least his haircut's regulation. Like, he actually doesn't go into the fact that, like, he he literally, like, ran over a monster with his fucking Humvee ones and shit. <laughs> like, he's done some truly baller fucking shit. And he's just like, well, at least his haircut's regulation. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, oh, God, Tommy's... Tommy's hair in this episode is also like a early two thousands nightmare. Yes, it is that it's got that gel spiked like he's not frosted tips. Is that that spike that extra spike gel vibe that, that like also indicates you are a bad boy in a boy band. <laughs> I I wondered if the, this might have been right before uh the shit that went down in Dino Thunder. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering timeline-wise, because it's like, that would explain probably it, because he's going through his own weird PTSD bullshit that we're going to see in Dino Thunder. I'm not going to really spoil it for you. Right. Uh, but yeah, his uh, Forever Red, it was something. I do love the fact that, like, Leo just shows up late as hell because, like, you know, his a his actor is in law school, so they couldn't get him for the entire time. <laughs> It was in a law school where he just became a lawyer, oh. and he's like, guys, I'm a full-time lawyer. It's like, I'm busy. And I, th I think it's like, I think it's house stuff. 
So like that's even like you're you're helping people close on houses and shit. Like that that is a busy life. Yeah, man. Shit. <laughs> um is there even anything to really talk about with Forever Red? I, I, I am like, it is my favorite form of just stupidity. It, it's better than Re- Ready Player. It's basically what Ready Player One tries to be, but better. Yeah, and then like, don't didn't they have like some of the other like original Power Rangers actors like p- voicing some of the Machine Empire? Yeah, they did. All right, I, I found that cooler than like we're just gonna mash all the Red Rangers together like our action figures. I I will like to know how it ended with basic. Okay, so from what I understand, this is just kind of rumor millish. Is around the time that they were trying to finish up and they were trying to get money to do Forever Red because this is like the tenth anniversary right. episode, and uh, they weren't getting the money from it from the production company Disney, mm-hmm. and so they reached out to Bandai, and Bandai was like, "Cool, uh, you just got to do this this plug for this toy." Anyway, remember that sweet bike Animus just gives Cole? Well, that, that this is pretty much what it was for. It was to defeat Serpentera by driving into it and causing Simp- Serpentera to have indigestion and blow up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's how that works. Like, sure, okay, that, yeah. Um, I just still love the fact that they introduced that bike in the previous episode, then only use it in Forever Red in, like, one more episode. And then we never see it again. Yeah. Oh, I just remembered. We didn't make a note about the Battleizer this season. It is actually wildlife themed. Yes. Uh, real quick, let, let's just go into that before we go into our other points. Um, yeah, no, we were very, you were very excited that the Battleizer actually looked themed for the season. Not only that, it does not look like ass. Yeah, it is actually a pretty good looking Battleizer, all things considered, and which made it hilarious when like. Um, I don't think it was in Forever Red. I think it was in the Time Force crossover where they had like Wes, Eric, and Cole all use their battleizers. <laughs> and and it's just like you have the rollerblade monstrosity, which people argue whether or not it's a battleizer. I'm like, that's a fucking battleizer, okay? It is yeah, by all accounts that is a battleizer. That is a battleizer. And then Wes uh, is weird you have, night one. <laughs> yeah, we're night one. It made no sense for the season. And Cole's kinda like very chill wildlife theme one. Yeah. It, it makes sense. And then, like... It makes sense. And it... Wasn't there, like, also... It's not really designed, either. Yeah. And, like, wasn't the wasn't the falcon sword tied to that one? I think it was... Either way, it's just not... Also, falcon sword blowing off the top of the mountain every time he needed to be summoned just felt like so much. That is too much. Um, so, like, yeah, I guess that's it for Forever Red and our crossovers for this season. So, I guess kind of just finish off our... Our random thoughts of um, uh, of Wild Force. Yeah. Um, my one I really want to talk about was kind of the weird thing that was Willie's roadside diner, right? Because uh, Willie's kind of a uh, like just kind of a character that is kind of there for Merrick, but barely there. They barely kind of went into him, which sucks because Willie seems like an interesting person. But because it's a, he's supposed to own basically a biker bar because how they meet is like. Merrick throws uh, these bikers out of Willie's establishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's even called Roadside. Uh, the thing is, it's Willie's Roadside Diner. It is a it is a like dive diner, I guess, or something uh, where you go get burgers and stuff because you can't have alcohol on a kids show, right? So it looks like a dive bar. It acts the same as a dive bar, but they can't actually call it a bar 
because children are watching. And even it even has like the weird thing of a bar where like it's closed in the beginning of the day and everything and daylight in the afternoon. Nobody's there, but it's still like a diner. I'm like that's the two diners are either normally 24/7 or lunch or breakfast through like an early lunch. Right. And it's like to have a diner not open during some of the peak times a diner should be open is kind of hilarious. Yeah, so it's like they they all the ways they were getting around trying to say this is a bar and like it's even got the weird like, you know, Willie even offers it's like, well, I can let you work here sometimes and I have a room where you can stay. It's like it even has that trope to it, but they're like it's not a bar, it's a diner. <laughs> okay, whatever Power Rangers. It's just so funny to me. I do love the concept of, of like, Willie as a character and what he's done to Merrick, but it's just so, it is just one of those silly kid show things where, like, we can't fully commit to this being a dive bar, so we're just gonna give it the trappings of one, but call it a diner. Yeah. Um, and then kind of moving on from that, um, so basically this season we noticed that while the Rangers are color-coordinated, because this is Power Rangers, <laughs> um... They're kind of no more known by their animals than by their ranger color. Yeah, it was something I noticed actually rewatching it this time around. I'm like, huh, you know, there's no, like, I'm the yellow ranger, I'm the red ranger. Like, a little bit of that happened with, like, when Shayla mentioned who's the leader of the group. Mm-hmm. But, like, they went more with what their animal was, like, tiger or bison or shark. Yeah, so, like, and, you know, of course they had their secondary zords, but, like, yeah, because it was like, it was not, you know, Red Lion, it was uh, Blazing Lion. Yeah. So even though, you know, the Red Lion was the Zord, the Red Lion was not, uh, was not Cole. Yeah. Which, yeah, I found that, I find that interesting, is that, like, yeah, they are still color-coordinated, but they're not necessarily, like, you know, Red X or Yellow Y. Yeah, um... A little bit of a departure from Gal Ranger because, like, the very interesting thing about Gal Ranger is they all refer to each other by their color in Gal, so it's it's Gal Red, right? Yeah, and by that I mean like literally, like I don't think you find out the characters' names until like midway through the series, right? And like, so you know, yeah, and like so because I know like you know like the original Mighty Morphin tried to do that a bit with like you know each of the Rangers had their own like animal that they represented, but everybody still called them. Red Ranger, Yellow Ranger, Blue Ranger. You weren't, sa- you know, you weren't Sabretooth, you, you know, you weren't Sabretooth Tiger. Yeah. Um. Uh, this is kind of, a, uh, I think this is the first time it actually does show up in Power Rangers. Uh, in terms of, like, terms of referring to a ranger by something else other than color. Right. And I think it only shows up a few times afterwards. I know definitely in SPD, everyone's actually ranked by number. And even then, it, it's like, it still goes into color with SPD, right. so... Anyway, it's kind of a neat thing. Um, let's see. Uh, the one thing we definitely want to talk about is Juggalo by another spelling. Oh, God. And how that broke us. Yeah, okay. So, the Team Carnival episode, which we briefly mentioned earlier with regards to Taylor and her, uh, needing to be in control, is, uh, this is where it's established in canon that Jindrax has a brother, and his brother's name is Juggalo. J-U-G-G-E-L-O. And I was just like, what? I mean, Insane Clown Posse was definitely already a thing by this point. They had basically been a thing for nearly, for more than a decade at this point. They had to know what Juggalos were, right? (laughs) Whoop, whoop! (laughs) 
But, I mean, because Juggalo was basically a juggling clown. That's his whole thing. And that's why they were Team Carnival. So, like, Juggalo was clearly down with the clown. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It was just like, I'm sorry, you named his brother, who's a juggling clown. That is his entire thing. Juggalo. And I'm pretty sure parent like Juggalos had kids, so they were probably very confused by this. Yeah, and it's like, why? Why was this a decision that was made? Like you call them Juggalo. And surely they could have come up with something a little bit more clown themed, but no, they went with Juggalo. <laughs> His attack is uh is uh Fago. Yeah, he just sprays Fago all over you and it'll burn your clothes off. <laughs> And your hair dye. Yeah, yeah, your hair dye is just absolutely ruined. <laughs> that is something we learned from somebody who went to the gathering. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, that was just, we just could not stop making insane clown posse jokes that entire episode. And it's just like, I, I would like, <laughs> yeah, I liked it that we are not 100% against the insane clown posse. We just found this very funny. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm chill with most juggalos. Yeah. Yeah, like, you guys are all right. When you, when you when you are uh, mostly working class, you deal with a lot of juggalos, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just yeah. It was just kind of ridiculous, and you know, fucking orgs. How do they work? <laughs> and our final point that we kind of want to talk about. Oh my god, armadillo sword! <laughs> I'm gonna have to find so many sword figures for you eventually when I have money again. I know, I know, but I was just like, oh my god, as soon as armadillo sword showed up, I was just a puddle of mush. That I just, I, that is, I think everyone's reaction to armadillo zord, zord when they first see him that aren't, you know, weirdos. I guess. Yeah, he's just so cute in the way he rolls, and oh my god, he's so precious. He's very. He's very cute, even if he's used as a soccer ball, which was very weird. Yeah, or the one time he was used as, like, a, a cue ball. <laughs> it's it's very weird sports shit, but yeah, Armadillo Zord is, like, hands down one of the cutest Zords I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. I Oh, my God. I just want to snuggle him, even though he's made of metal. <laughs> Maybe we can figure out how to make a plush version, because there's obviously figures, but there's no plush version of Armadillo Zord. Yes, that's what I want. I want a plush Armadillo Zord to use as a pillow. Um, but yeah, that's, um, that's all we really have to say about Wild Force, y'all. So, uh, what's our final verdict? Uh, hey, this is actually pretty good. Yeah, wild. Um, it's wild. Haha. <laughs> um, my, my, I'm just like second haters from 2003 who made me think I didn't like this. Uh, I always kind of liked this weird season, if it, even if it took me a very long time to come to grips with the fact, no, you love this season. Uh, is it Time Force? No. But the fact that it tells a story without being disjointed and has generally fun characters makes this one of the more solid entries uh, post-Zordon era. Yeah, when Jules would vaguely tell me about the season, it sort of gave me an impression that the season was going to be a slog. But it honestly wasn't. While it's not as consistent as Time Force, it's still one of the stronger entries in the Saban era that showed just how strong the series could be when the effort was put in. So yeah, that's basically all we have to say about Wild Force, y'all. So um, 
As always, we would like to thank uh, Kate Nix, who is our, uh, who's the composer of our theme song. You can find her on Twitter at I am Kate Nix, as well as katenix.com, where you can find her Bandcamp, merch, and streaming. I know she occasionally does bug, uh, what she calls bug soup with her husband, Ophidia and the Cobra, but you can typically find her on the Lullaby Lounge on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, I do believe the new season will be starting on... Uh, I believe December the second. I'm yeah. yeah. So and that's gonna be. I believe that is the fuck you seasonal depression episode, which I'm really looking forward to. And then as always, uh, Joe Hunter. We love like we love the art that he did for us. You can find him on uh, Threadless at joehunter.threadless.com, as well as on Instagram at Joe Bloody Hunter, um, and on Twitter at un- Joe underscore Hunter. And I believe that's also the username on his Patreon. He is still working on Beast Heart Strikers with uh, Land Pits, and you can pick up issues of that at uh, on Comixology. Uh, and Kurt Yoder for editing our podcast. Uh, he still has a lot of Perler Pokemon to sell, so you can either uh, go to his Etsy for Great SG Creations, or just find him on Twitter at uh, Great SG. Or is it the? We also yeah. We also put up some of our Final Fantasy V uh, classes too recently. Oh, nice. Uh, actually, sorry, it is the Great SG on Twitter, not Great SG. I always forget that. Um, and our wrestler of the podcast is the purveyor of Tiger Style, Lee Moriarty. Um, he is a super great technical wrestler that has come up a lot during this year, and you can go watch pretty much any of his matches from the collective back in October, and they're all good. They're all bangers. Um, so you can find him on Twitter at at Apex of Combat, as well as 37goods.bigcartel.com. Uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at MissKittyF, F, um, as well as my uh, shop on uh, on Square, which is uh, Ashley-Leckwell.Square.Site. Uh, that's where I'm selling a lot of my physical zines, as well as masks still. I have tons of them, and I would like to move some of my stock before the end of the year. Um, as well, yeah, physical zines. And I just sold that Oscar bag today when we were recording, so yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, and then you can find digital copies on my zines on Gumroad or on itch, uh, Itch.io. Itch.io? I still have not figured out how to pronounce that. Um, but yeah, like... Uh, yeah, if you just search Ashley Leckwold for either of those sites, my uh, my stuff will pop up. And you can find me on uh, Instagram at jjackets, and as well as my cat's Instagram, Witchcraft and Cats. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sins2Hell, and I use the number two. Uh, the Etsy again that I run with, excuse me, the Etsy again that I run with Kurt is uh, Great SG Creations. We do a lot of perler art. Uh, I also have soaps to sell in a uh, link in a pin tweet on my pin tweet, as well as my Grumroad is finally like working, so you can pick up a steamy porn comic, um, as well as maybe other things that are coming down the line at JSS Rights eighty seven. All right, and then so next month it's a new year, and we're heading back into the future with Boom Studios Comics Sins to the Future. Also, a couple of things just to keep you aware of. We know that, one, we know the holiday season is going to be different this year. uh, But we're going to bring you something special in time for Christmas. So be on the lookout for that. But also, if you want to ask us any questions uh, about the podcast, Power Rangers, um, or just anything Toku related, within reason, uh, we are actually going to be taking fan questions for the next couple of weeks. 
Uh, so basically, we're going to be recording our next set of episodes to start the uh, the year of 2021. God, it's already that far into the year. Um, we're going to be recording our next set of episodes on December the 5th. So you have until December the 5th to send us questions either on Twitter at at Rangersplain or, uh, by the way, Rangersplain at Twitter or on Instagram at Rangersplain. We need to use the Instagram more. But yeah, anywhere you can find us or even at our email of Rangersplain at gmail.com. Send us questions and we will answer them on the podcast in February. But you need to send them in first. But yeah, um, as always, we love you guys. Uh, Just remember, stay safe, wear your mask, wash your hands. Always remember Black Lives Matter and may the power protect you. Go. Just play.